Music to give people goosebumps. Welcome to Derry, Benamel. Um, population fluctuates, doesn't it? Because yeah. Stephen King fans <laughs> will know that Derry, Maine is, is not a place you want to live because it's been terrorised by a demonic clown. Uh, it's had aliens visit it twice. It's uh, got psychos and fucking ghosts. So, But on the plus side, everyone floats. Well, that's true. <laughs> if you're a writer, you don't want to go there either because writer's block will ensue. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but hell, what a what a place to live! What a what a place to be at the desk with two friends of mine, <laughs> opposite me, Ben Hellwig. How are you, mate? Smooth. That was smooth. <laughs> <laughs> and over there, Malzy Beg. How are? How are you? Fantastic. <laughs> We're off to a flying start. I can't even get words out, and I haven't been drinking. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I'm just thank wondering, God. When, when do the when do the love songs and dedication start? <laughs> This one goes out to Mel. <laughs> <laughs> we, yeah, we should do that. We should do that. Just do change it. the just whole the, show. Yeah. <laughs> I used to love listening to it like late at night when you'd be like, and John is just wishing Helen a fantastic night. He, she makes his world turn around. And he wants to play. Imagine being that guy's wife. Yeah. He probably gets home and he's like, I love yeah, yeah. <laughs> you. Know, that's his real voice. Yeah. Yeah, he's just putting it on. Uh, I'll, in, I'll, I'll introduce myself. Yeah. <laughs> Glenn Cochran here. <laughs> Welcome to Good Movie Monday. It's great to be back with you for another week. And we're dedicating today's show to the tally movies and miniseries of Stephen King. I love this theme. I reckon there's some really cool stuff to pick and choose from here. Because Stephen King books are really long, and I think they play well in tally movie format. So mm -hmm. I'm looking forward to getting stuck into this. I hope you two are as well. A bit later on, also, we're going to talk to the guys behind a new documentary called Pennywise, The Story of It. Uh, ben and I caught up with them recently. And I'm looking forward to playing this for people, because these are guys that were behind documentaries about Pet Cemetery, Hellraiser, Robocop. So, Leviathan. Yeah, that's right. Well, that's Hellraiser, isn't it? Right. I, w I actually thought when they were talking about it, I thought they were talking about Leviathan, the movie Leviathan. No. <laughs> and I was like, in my head during the whole interview, I was like, it's such an odd movie that they've, they've done an in-depth docu documentary on. <laughs> it all makes sense now. Because I didn't do any research <laughs> before talking to them. Well, it's, it's a good I thing like, we've pre-recorded that interview because... I watched Pennywise. I watched the doco. <laughs> that's the research I did. So they come to this documentary with a bit of a pedigree and, yeah. and you know, I think they've put together a really good film and I'm looking forward to sharing some uh, tidbits about that with you. But you you guys, like, do you have memories of It, Stephen King's It? Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well. <laughs> it's actually one of my first memories of horror. Like, really? Ho yeah, horror movie. I was, I think, in grade... Five or no, probably no, no, it would have been younger, three or four. Yeah. And my mum was watching it in the lounge room, and we lived in this really small weatherboard, like paper thin wall house. And for some reason, I was sleeping in my parents' room right next to the lounge room. And you know how horror movies are much scarier when you can't see them? Yeah. Well, yeah. yes, I listened to the entire <laughs> wow. film wow. and just pictured it all in my head. That's and amazing. That was my, yeah, It's like an audiobook. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's yeah. a lot that's a lot better than me. Like very similar story. It's, it's one of the first movies that like literally terrified yeah. me that I that I didn't see. The only thing I saw like I snuck in cuz we used to have 
we used to have this weird um, thing where the the house the house that we lived in had three bedrooms, but two of the bedrooms were connected. Like from the third bedroom, you could only get to the rest of the house mm-hmm. by going through the second one. Yep. And for a while, to stop fights, me and my sister had to share a room, and that middle bedroom became the lounge room. And we had to go to bed at eight thirty, and my parents would be watching movies <laughs> in the lounge room. Yeah. And you could just, you could like they had like there was three stairs, and you could kind of sneak up and kind of watch. Yeah. A bit. And they were watching it, which is <laughs> remarkable considering how how terrified my mother was of of any kind of horror movies. Yeah. But it was an event television. It was thing, yeah, it was like know. a big thing, and it wasn't the first part. It was the second. Mm. It was the second part. I'm yeah. pretty sure it's the second part. And I snuck up and just watched the part with Richard Massa where he where he go, I'm gonna have a bath now. <laughs> and so that's the only part I saw, and it fucking terrified. The most me. horrifying part of the whole film, I reckon. Yeah. <laughs> Wow. Um, yeah, I was about 13, maybe 12, 13 when it... I was 20. <laughs> <laughs> I think I was that age when it aired. No, 1990, yeah. I was around about then, but a bit younger. Yeah. And Well, we wouldn't have got... It was 1990 in the yeah. US. We probably would have probably would have been like 91. Yeah. But I remember sure. being terrified by the promotions for it. Yeah. like Because <laughs> they showed scary parts. You yeah. Know? Well, just... Pennywise in the in the sewer oh. yeah. was on a, a, like a lot of the advertising yeah. material. Exactly, and, oh, and I mean this, this, this scared the shit out of a whole generation. Me yep. being one of them, but uh, I I always found the clown or any clown is scarier when they're just the clown, not the monster. You know, yeah. and like that's why yeah. that Victor Salva film Clown House is so effective, is because they're clowns. Like they just look like clowns. Yeah, yeah. No, I know you're going for a gag. No, with that. no, no you, are. <laughs> <laughs> you want to though. <laughs> Like it's like I've told them in my head, but I'm okay with with uh, keeping them to myself. Okay, um, and and so Tim Curry's Pennywise always scared me when he was just the fun clown. Yes, yeah, yeah. you know, yeah. But every time it's because when they go from the smiley face to the frowny face, yeah, like it's always like it's just that kind of. But it's also for me, it's the fact that it's like it's an adult hiding behind makeup. Like, I was just going to yeah. say it's yeah. the mask. Yeah, thing. like even though yeah. it's not a mask, but yeah. it's the makeup. Why are you hiding the, behind yes, makeup? Exactly. Like you know, and you're yeah. not acting right. You know. Yeah. yeah. I always found that, and, and movies. I mean, Stephen King's probably responsible for turning clowns into monsters, but you know, movies where the clown is a, a demonic kind of figure, I, I, they're never scary to me. Mm. You yeah. know, particularly Killjoy. You ever watch that? Piece of shit. It's a Charlie Band one. It's no. like five of them. I think there's the five five think, killjoys. Yeah, I think there's killjoy in the hood, dude. Like, yeah. Does he go to space? <laughs> oh, mate. Maybe, maybe. He doesn't go to space. It's not but, a real um, uh, franchise. It's not a real band franchise. There yeah. is um. There's a lot of uh, it talk coming up, and lots of Stephen King talk to come up too. We're also doing the weekly thing with our segments. Joe, Chad, and James from Bonehead Weekly are going to take over the mic for a while in a minute. As is Guillermo Troncoso. Presenting the news from the film and TV website Screen Realm. And in just a moment, Jarrett Garn from Monster Pictures wants to bring you up to date with what's been released on physical media. Uh, before we do, are you just big Stephen King fans in general? You two? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you read his stuff? Nope. No, <laughs> you're a viewer. You're a viewer, Stephen yeah. King viewer. Awesome. Um, oddly enough, the first novel I ever read in full in one sitting was Carrie. Which is right. a, it's a doozy to read. It's a short one. That's why I got through it. I was going right. to say. <laughs> but the, I was the only one I, I tried was the stand. Oh Jesus! You go for the biggest one. And it was the biggest one, and I did. I did not make it through. I made it through the stuff I liked. Yep. And then, which because I, with the stand, my favorite part's always the part where the world goes to shit at the start with the virus. Yep. Like I like all that. Yeah, you know, the collapse of society. Yeah. Once it gets into the the <laughs> flag. Yep. Randall. Uh, Randall. Uh, um, Mother Abigail, yep. 
metaphysical stuff in you know Vegas and when it's supernatural and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. I was like, oh, I don't care about this. <laughs> 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 well, yeah. So I mean, I was probably about thirteen when I read Carrie for the first time, and I was just so proud of myself that I made it all the way through a book. Yeah. And the first thing I did was then I picked up Night Shift, which is that anthology book he wrote, which I think is the best anthology book of all time. But you know, I've done two of the Night Shift stories in Cat's Eye. Yeah, yeah, like Night Shift has spawned probably about 12 to 13 movies. Yeah, right. Like it's mm. almost every single, and they're short, short stories, like five, ten pages each. Well, short stories are one of the ones that make the best movies, really. Yeah, they are. you're not cutting out yeah. massive amounts yeah, of yeah. it and Adding, pissing you people build, off. Yeah. You're building their little foundations for sure. Yeah. So you, if you've never read Night Shift, definitely do it. It's awesome. All right, cool. Let's move on. Uh, Jarrett, let's hear what's coming out this week, I guess. <laughs> Guess <laughs> you act like you've got no control. Like, oh, I just randomly push the button, and uh, I have no idea what is coming out this week. <laughs> hey, this is Jarrett, and welcome to PE class. Now, what's out this week on home entertainment? Good question. Glad you asked. I'm going to start with Umbrella Entertainment as they're releasing two new titles in their Ozploitation Classics line. The first of which is Thirst, a modern vampire horror film. When I say modern, I'm talking about the take on vampires and not the production because the film was shot in the late 70s and in fact it was shot here in Victoria. Now in terms of content, this one comes housed in a nice little slipcover as does all of the Ozploitation Classics range upon first release. It also includes a replica lobby card set that's limited to the first 3,000 units. In terms of special features, you've got a commentary, isolated score, interview featurette, still gallery and trailers. And there's actually an Anthony Ganane trailer reel on this, the man who produced the feature in about half to three quarters of all exploitation films throughout the 70s and 80s. The second feature is, in fact, another feature that was produced by Anthony Ganane. It's The Survivor. It was directed by David Hemmings. You'd know David Hemmings as an actor from films like Blow Up and, of course, Dario Argento's Deep Red. Now, this one, as per Thirst, comes with a slipcover and replica lobby card set. There's an unhealthy amount of special features on this one. There's multiple commentary tracks, loads of interview featurettes, and there's also the US cut of the film in Standard Death. And joining the Beyond Genres series is Sean Burns' The Devil's Candy. Now this one did get a DVD and maybe even a Blu-ray release locally through Transmission some years ago. However, it was sans any special feature content. Well, Umbrella have stepped up to the plate and loaded this one with special features. There's a commentary, featurettes, a festival Q&A, some of Sean's short films and the trailer. Now, there's a new title in the Sunburnt Screen series this month, also Shirley Barrett's Love Serenade. Also out from Umbrella include an all-star comedy caper double feature of The Money Pit and the Burbs, another double of Francis Ford Coppola films, Rumblefish and Gardens of Stone, and finally the fourth volume in Umbrella's Films of Fury series. It's the final Bruce Lee feature, the aptly though unfortunately titled Game of Death. Then Imprint have a singular release this week, Man on a Swing hitting Blu-ray. Then moving on to the majors, Roadshow's releasing Moonfall on Blu-ray and DVD. The less said about that film, the better. But excitingly, they are releasing from the Warner catalogue, Singing in the Rain on 4K Ultra HD. Then Universal Pictures are releasing Serrano on DVD, Marry Me on Blu-ray and DVD. And finally, from the Paramount catalogue, Love and Monsters is coming out on DVD. Yes, DVD only. Can you believe it? Not even Blu-ray. The US got 4K Ultra HD and we've had to wait, what, almost, it feels like, almost like two years for this thing to surface locally. I'm going to leave you with some good news after all those bummers, and that's Robert Eggers' The Northmen's going to hit 4K Ultra HD, Blu-ray and DVD locally 
on June 22nd. Anyway, that's it for me for this week, so until next time, stay physical. Melzy, for those yes. people that <laughs> for those people that aren't regular listeners, uh, you are from the Melbourne Horror Film Society, uh, and your most recent screening was Ty West House of the Devil. It was. I'm not mistaken. I didn't get to go, unfortunately. But I, was... I did this month. So. Oh, fantastic! <laughs> There'll um, always be one of us there. How did it go? It was awesome. Yeah. Full house. Every Excellent. seat taken. Cool. Um, and I hadn't seen it before, so um, yeah, everybody loved it, including me. Yeah, yeah you did. Was, yeah, really loved it. Yeah, I did. Oh, my three-year-old was there. Totally, <laughs> did he love it? Totally appropriate. Um, so I actually missed a couple of <laughs> actually the two biggest scenes. Oh in no! It. I he needed to go to the toilet and was being a bit of a pain, and so I borrowed the disc and I took it home and I watched those watched afterwards. Those yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, and they it was literally the two biggest yeah, moments yeah. in yeah. the film. But um, <laughs> but I loved it. I loved the atmosphere. I loved the music and the main girl is just. Captivating. Yeah, like she's I, great. Yeah. And Begretta Gerwig is awesome as yeah. the best friend too. Loved. Like uh, absolutely loved. Yeah. So and, yeah, really slow burn, but you wanted to stay with the – like you were happy sitting there watching the characters. So, very cool, very yeah, loved cool. It. That's, that's awesome. the thing. The funny thing is is that it's like it's a movie about babysitting really. Yeah, 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 yeah. And then I mean, and then it turns into a babysitting old people, but at the start <laughs> it's babysitting kids, yeah. as she thinks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's like super appropriate that it all the, the messy parts – you had to go and yeah, take care of the kids. Yeah, absolutely. You had to go and take care of the kids. Art imitating life. Absolutely. Or life imitating art. And I think, what, this coming Saturday, you're screening Society. Yeah, so that will be fun. Oh, <laughs> God, how good Society. We had a whole episode last week with we Brian Yuzna. Mm-hmm. We certainly did. Oh, my goodness. How fun. How fun. We got to talk shunting. We got to talk oh, shunting. And he sung shunting. Yeah, oh. yeah. The shunting song. Oh. What is it? Let's go to Do the, the shunt. shunt. <laughs> <laughs> and then, but then he did shunting in the night. Yes, yes, yes which is the best. Yes. Like the f- you know. Oh. Now I just want to jump on Fiverr and get like a Frank Sinatra impersonator to sing it properly, like the <laughs> whole song. I can't like. I mean, he 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 sung it like he's done it many many times. Yes. But I'm like, I'm hoping we're the only podcast he's ever done that on. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he's probably the only one on TikTok, you know, because yeah, I, I went it, and yeah. put that on TikTok. That's for sure. Did you hashtag Brian Yesna? Uh, yeah, of course I did. <laughs> yeah. Fantastic. And usually when you do a hashtag, it comes up with how many times it's been hashtagged. Zero. Zero. <laughs> yeah. Really? Yeah. yeah. So now people go. can find it yeah. and it goes straight to us, baby. Yeah. Beautiful. <laughs> yeah. So I think because we've got quite a lot of new members now and um, and so it seems to be, there was only one person apart from me um, in the, or, oh no, including me. Oh, I don't know. How's my brain working right now? Whatever it is. But there was only one person that had seen... House of the Devil. Right. Out of the full house. Out of the full house. Yeah. Wow. And um and I think I have a feeling it'll be similar for um for society. So yeah, <laughs> it's gonna be yeah. But did it did did House of the Devil actually get released here? I don't recall. I think it played like I from memory I thought it played Myth or something. But I don't know Physical if it actually got yeah, and actually picked up a local distributor. I do not I think, think so. Yeah. I think Innkeepers was the only Ty West at the time yeah. when that came out. Because I remember seeing that at Myth and he came out for it. Yeah. But my the copy I have I have it on the, I've got the VHS that yep. they put out yeah and the import yeah well, I, if it was an import yeah mm. it was, yeah the other night well so. there you go well yeah. this you know monster <laughs> <laughs> I just uh, put that on the list <laughs> after <laughs> Heavenly Bodies <laughs> and I think the next major screening at Long Play is Hands of Orlac yes yeah, so nineteen twenty four. Uh, Austrian film, yep. the director and star of The Cabinet of Dr. Caligari. Yes. 
And so it tells the story of a world-famous pianist who loses both his hands in an accident and then becomes horrified to learn that his new hands that were grafted on once belonged to a murderer. It's classic. It's the template for so many movies that came after it. It's the story of Doctor Strange. Yeah, it is. It's it's, um, Body Parts with Jeff A. Body Parts, yeah. yeah, Absolutely. And so that's the first of three screenings that David's hosting that are to do with severed hands. Yes, excellent. It's also the eye from um, um, Body Bags. Body Bags, yeah. 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 Oh, well, excellent. And um, I'm glad he's going for the original. It'll yes. be interesting to see how the audience takes yeah, to that. Yeah, it will be. Yeah. Yeah, because that is a silent film. Yeah. So, yeah. woohoo, I yeah. love that. Awesome. Yeah. Where can people find the Melbourne Horror Film Society? So, we, uh, our website is melbournehorrorfilmsociety.org. We are also on Discord, which I've forgotten to mention. So, um, you just need to contact us by any means necessary. Yep. Socials online um, for a link to our Discord channel. We have cool. a great community on there. And also the next after um, society, the next blood ritual screening is Slither. And blood ritual is? At True North. But it's your spin-off. It's our stuff. spin-off yeah. where we are. Um, loose. Yes, loose. <laughs> it's a Saturday night. Saturday 28th of May will be the next one. And um, yeah, it's a bit of a party vibe. Awesome. Very, and, very and fun. And you guys have been posting our videos on your website too, so mm-hmm. very much appreciate that. Uh, yeah, so if you well, if you want to if you want to catch our uh, chats with some of these filmmakers, then definitely check that out on your website. We'll, we'll direct them to you, even though we we kind of need the the love as well, <laughs> <laughs> don't we, Ben? Well, because I, I certainly don't give us any. No, <laughs> <laughs> I don't share our posts. <laughs> I don't like our posts. <laughs> You're just in them. I'm just in them. <laughs> yeah, Glenn and I are definitely the nerds of our two groups that are, yeah. oh, watch this, share yeah, this, yeah, listen absolutely. to this. Yeah, like the, no the doubt. active, yeah. I'm just, you know. Well, no shame here. Yeah. Well, speaking like of a, nerds. Look at, this, look at this meme. Let's nerd <laughs> out now. Uh, let's do some Stephen King telemovie talk. Grab the popcorn, dim the lights. Recline if you can, Ben. Although I know you've got a you've got a stiff neck tonight, so don't recline too hard. <laughs> as long yeah, as it's just a stiff it. neck. <laughs> <laughs> this desk feels elevated. No, it's just because I've got the chair too high. (laughs) It's all the right moves is happening. (laughs) So uh, with that conversation, you must be doing a bag of bones. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Stephen King's erection. (laughs) That's one of those. You may as well go first. All right. (laughs) Well, I'm going to talk about... so it's not really my. It's not actually my favourite Stephen King miniseries. That yep. is the Stand. But I didn't. I didn't pick the Stand because I, sh- I w- assumed that everyone else was going to pick the Stand. I think everyone avoided it with the same assumption. With the same assumption. <laughs> so, so this this is close. Uh, it is 1979's Salem's Lot. What a banger! It is ridiculously good. Yeah. And it the thing about it too, like I watched it again for the show. Yep. And I put it up on my. I put it on my projector. I watched it on the big mm. screen, and then I was like. This doesn't feel right. Mm. I had to stop it and put it on a TV that, with the four three in the small because that's how you watch it. Yeah. Do you know, I was talking to somebody just today about watching VHS movies. You know, and they're like, "Well, how can you stand the, the low res, low fi like kind of stuff?" I'm like, "There's a quality to it. Like, there is yeah. something yeah. different about watching those films that I think if you were raised on them, it's just nostalgic and yeah. Yeah. And, and if it's the right comforting. Yeah. And so yeah. like right I said to him, I said, for example, I would rather actually watch Texas Chainsaw Massacre on VHS than I would on 4K. Like mm. if I had the choice. Well, it's like, I didn't realize when I was a 
kid that until the the special editions came out theatrically. I don't even seen Star Wars in four three. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Like I'd never seen widescreen Star Wars. Like it just wasn't a thing. Yep. Yes, I'm so glad I have those on DVD in the original format. Yes. Like because I yeah, there's something just really romantic about watching them like that. I reckon. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. digression. Go for it. <laughs> Back to Salem's Lot. Uh, so basically, Salem's Lot is a is a it's a vampire movie. Yep. It's uh, set in a small town. It's a, I think the town is actually called Jericho's Lot, but it was Salem's Lot, and they renamed it. Well, because he he name. wrote a he wrote a short story called Jerusalem's Lot, right? Uh, in the Night Shift collection, which is yeah. now an Adrian Brody miniseries. Mm. Uh, so he was the, there was confusion when he did the novel of Salem's Lot, you know, as to what this what, actually what is. this actually was, yeah. So it's this small town, and this guy David Soul, played by David Soul. He grew up in the town, uh, comes back after an absence, and he's become like a successful, well, a pseudo successful writer. It's the classic Stephen King trope. Yeah, mm. yeah. He's and he comes back to town just as this mysterious uh, series of deaths. Yeah, uh, which I think they diagnose as um, as as anemia, like these bizarre cases yeah. of anemia. Yeah, keep killing all these people in the town. And yeah, and yeah, you find out it's and it's actually um, uh, what's his name is the is the at the same time this guy has moved to town. Um, James Mason. James Mason. Yep. Yeah, James Mason's moved to town. He's opened up this antique shop with his uh, mysterious partner, Mister Barlow, yeah. who who is away on business, and you never actually get to see Mister Barlow. I mean, you do, but you don't. Um, it's very Dracula. Like the the, the concept there uh, is very Dracula. It's, well, it's yeah, yeah. But, well, almost more Nosferatu, which is Dracula, mm. which is Dracula. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, they're all like yeah. Well, it is. It's Dracula. Um, they just didn't have the rights to use the name, so they changed it. Changed it to yeah, yeah Mr. Barlow, which is like it's a weird name. Yeah. Um, and so like there's always this kind of Mr. Barlow in the background. Yeah. And everyone's curious because it's a small town. Everyone's curious about Mr. Barlow mm. and who is Mr. Barlow. And uh, you know they've rented this old house on the top of a hill that has some um, has a dubious past, and uh, I think Bonnie Bedelia turns out she's like the school oh, teacher. She's the best. She's great. Yeah. Very very attractive. Yes. <laughs> Bonnie Bedelia. Like um, great. That's what I meant. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> she's a weird cat. Like she's the love interest for David Soul, hmm. and it's like it's like they're both in two different films. Like the, it's real. They've got a really weird relationship mm. in 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 the film, um, but it's pretty cool. And um, I can't remember who else is in it. There's a, there's a bunch of people. Um, uh, the guy uh, Baron Harkonnen from June is the cop. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Um, I'm trying to think of who else is uh, is uh, is in it. You know what? Fred Fred Willard. That's right. Fred Willard is oh. in it. Hey, like what a, happened? Yeah, <laughs> a super young. Like and he plays it super straight. Um, Have you seen Mr. Barlow? I don't think, think so. so. <laughs> <laughs> super weird. But, yeah. Oh, Jeffrey Lewis. Jeffrey Lewis is great in it. Um, good ensemble. That's how ensemble, you get away with not knowing names of people. And you just say it's got a good ensemble. Yeah. <laughs> and it's a, it's a two-parter. It's a classic two-parter. So two basically two feature-length uh, episodes. They both go for like ninety minutes each. Yep. So it was a long. It's a long watch when you do it in one sitting. But it's actually. And it's re- it is really weird because the first the first one is quite like the setup is quite long, mm. and it's like you're watching like a seventies telly well, movie. That's Stephen King for you. The setup, yeah. Is the always, setup is yeah, yeah mm. which I usually I mean I 
often prefer the it's setup. It's effective, isn't it? Because yeah. it gets you to really invest in the characters yeah. before you're thrown into hell. And then, and then hell. you're constantly yeah. shocked by who gets killed. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, and then, yeah, the second part's a lot more... It, like, it actually feels like the second one goes for 30 minutes, mm. when in fact mm. that's still an hour and a half. Yeah. Um, but it's pretty good. It's funnily enough, I actually watched uh, Return to Salem's Lot yeah. before... I'd ever seen Salem's Lot mm. because it's a Larry Cohen film. Yeah, that made a lot of sense. And uh, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and I mean, it's a, like it's a great film. But I like there is there was a, a theory going around that uh, a friend of mine, Anthony Davies, came up with was that if Michael Moriarty appears in a Larry Cohen film, <laughs> he has to punch someone in the face in the first five minutes, and it, it happens. <laughs> it's like it's in every one, <laughs> including like his, his introduction in Return to Salem's Lot. He punches out a reporter at the airport. <laughs> Like it's just amazing. It's amazing. I really like sequels that are spun off from Stephen King movies that Stephen King didn't write. Didn't write. You know? Yeah, I like them. I don't know why. I like Pet I mean, Cemetery Two, like good example. Yeah, you know? and it's a similar thing. Like I like to think of it as because basically, it, what happens in the film is that like David Soul and and his kind of group of friends they figure out what's going on. Yeah, and that like the town has invited unknowingly has invited Mister Barlow the vampire in <laughs> and he's slowly converting the town yep. into, into vampires. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the second one, the return to Salem's lot, it's like that town 10 years later mm. where all the town are like are in on it and they, they love being vampires cause it means they've got eternal life <laughs> and they're all fine with it. And you know, and when strangers come in, they're like, wow, it's more, it's more, <laughs> more meat on the Barbie. <laughs> and it's, it's great. It is. It's classic Stephen King. Like yeah. it's it's him taking like the the overdone genre and and putting new life into it. I think. Yeah. And I was yeah. I was talking about I was talking about the film with the uh, oh the miniseries. I suppose not. Well, it's it, it did have another release on home video, which was shorter. Shorter, you know, which like, is the same as it. Yeah, but wasn't the yeah that's right. But wasn't the Salem's Lot one only ninety minutes on home video at first? I think there was a really really short yeah. version. Yeah, right. Which I, which I would love to see. Yeah. I've only seen. I've got the Blu-ray. Mm. Uh, but the, and. That's like 183 yeah. minutes yeah, or yeah. whatever it is. Like yeah. it's like a, it's like you know, you, if you were recording it off TV, you'd need to go to the Safeway and buy a second VHS tape yes. because yes. you wouldn't sit yeah. on what, if, you, or you have to put it on long. Play. If I'm not yeah. mistaken, somewhere in the world it had a theatrical release, and that's the shorter cut. And that's the yeah, shorter cut, right. which makes a lot of sense because yeah. there is a lot of stuff. You it's can very, cut it's out. very, it's a theatrical kind of movie. Yeah, really, like, hundred percent. Yeah. I saw it so many years ago that I wouldn't even know which which version that I saw. Yeah, yeah, right. Like so long ago. Um, well, because it's, it's like a, it's a tough one. Like if you borrowed it on VHS or whatever from the video store, I, I don't remember what the yeah. what the VHS one was. Was it was it ninety minutes or was <laughs> oh. it like? Because yeah. I don't I don't remember seeing like you know when they used to do a lot of those telly series that you'd get the um the fat packs. Yep. Where you'd have the two tapes, like Shaka Zulu and yep. Josephine Baker's story. and Well, if you've got Anna Green Gables, it's uh, four tapes. Anna Green, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or, or Twin Peaks, would yeah. had four of them. Yeah, yeah. big, big giant um, case. There's big cases. Even Hellraiser 2 had a double pack. It certainly did, but that was for Hellraiser 1 and 2. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. it had space for you to put that first tape in. Yeah. But I don't remember that for, for uh, Salem's Lot. No. No, no. me neither. And, and I, don't, I don't remember it being like The Stand... Or um, well, not I can tell you now from America, my, my video days and remembering it as a VHS on the shelves, it was always a short version. It's a short yeah, version, yeah. So maybe yeah. that's what I saw. Which, possibly. Yeah. Mm. So I w- yeah, well, I would actually like to check that out. Well, good um, one. Well, you got me wanting to revisit now. Like, so we're going to stop, yeah, <laughs> and I'll fun. see you in three hours. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Malzi, um, what Stephen King rabbit hole have ooh, ooh, you? Well, I'm up, you are All right. <laughs> and nice and prepared. Yeah. 
been a week of it. So I've gone a little bit left of centre. So I have chosen two new films mm-hmm. that were made for streaming. See, streaming's the Ooh, cheat, isn't it? Yeah. Like, you know, we can get away with it because you watched it on your television. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. It qualifies. Yeah. But they're, and, they're, <laughs> and they're widescreen though, which is great. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So what did, what did so you choose? So first up, I watched Gerald's Game for oh, the first time oh, on Wednesday Yes. Night. I haven't yeah. seen this. I've been meaning to the, it's yeah, the whole time. really good. It was, yeah. yeah. It was really I, I think I, I actually think I made a mistake because there, <laughs> there were two at the same time. There was Gerald's Game and then there's that 19... Yeah, 27. 27 or whatever yeah. it is yeah. with... Um, you certainly made a mistake if that's the one And that's the one I saw. <laughs> yeah. And uh, like, I think I saw it, funnily it's enough... It's one Aussie, that one. I saw it at Fantastic Fest yeah. with, with Jarrett and Michael Helms, mm-hmm. and they loved it. Oh. I mean, I think they really loved Gerald's game, but they also liked this one and I was yeah. like, oh, you're a good boy. Yeah, I yeah. thought so too. But yeah, no. right. All right, so yeah. Gerald's game, go yeah, for it. Yeah, so Gerald's game. So, it was made, so it's Mike Flanagan film. Movie. There you go. Like he's become the new yeah. Mick Garris, like the new uh, custodian of the Stephen King adaptation. Yeah, totally. Um, and so, um, based on the novel of the same name, obviously from 1992, and the movie was made in or released in 2017. So basically, you've got a married couple, Gerald and Jesse, whose marriage isn't in a great place, and they're going away to rekindle their relationship. First of all, I love the opening scene. It seems so sweet. It's just like the cinematography is beautiful. This guy who, you know, it's Gerald, is packing an overnight bag. You've got the classic Sam Cooke song, um, Bring It On Home to Me playing. And then he's, you know, like nicely packing all of these like little clothes. And then he pops two sets of handcuffs like perfectly on top of the, on the top of the case, zips it up and off we go. Sexy time. Yeah. <laughs> so they get to their lake house and Gerald handcuffs Jesse to the bed, starts doing role play. And he's being really weird. It's so uncomfortable. It is. It's so uncomfortable. He's like, <laughs> daddy's going to get what daddy wants. Yes, I wrote this out. <laughs> and then fully cracks the shits when Jesse isn't into it and tells him to stop. And obviously none of this is a bad thing, but just the way that he's acting is yeah. really creaky and yeah. It sets just, a tone, that's for sure. It really does, yeah. And um, yeah, yeah, it just made me really glad to be single, actually. It was <laughs> yeah. like, it was, it was fucked. I was going to say, using the term, using the, the phrase daddy, yeah. can, it can go, go either, either way. way. Yeah, well, that's the thing. Everything that happened could, because you know, I yeah. sat back and thought about it and I'm like, none of this is, that, if it's the right person yeah. and the right way, but the right mood. Was, yeah, it was. But that's, I feel like that's one of those things like when you like you picture it in your head going one way yeah. and then when you do it in reality, you're like, now daddy's going to. <laughs> but also, like, if, so if she's not, not into good. it this time, that's not to say that's not her fantasy from last time and yeah. he's going with that. Mm, like, this mm. is what she, you know, what gets her off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, because there are a lot of daddy fantasies out there. Just, yeah, you know, for, sh- for sure. Oh, you said that too confidently. No. <laughs> <laughs> Continue. <laughs> Anywho, so anyway, yes, I call Ben on. Daddy. <laughs> well, Granddaddy now. <laughs> the chair hasn't gone the down yet. <laughs> <laughs> well, I've taken the pill. It's up for there. For, it's going to be up for three hours. <laughs> well, it, that's actually what happened. What in the happened? Movie. To the yeah, era. yeah, yeah. That's exactly. You know it. This you is, have seen it, haven't you? <laughs> this is Glenn's game. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Ultimately, Jesse is stuck, cuffed to the bed, and you start unpacking their marriage initially. 
And then the story moves into dealing with some really traumatic things in her childhood that she hasn't dealt with. It's really upsetting. And Glenn, I messaged you partway through yeah. the movie. I said I was struggling watching it. You know, like you just need that little circuit breaker because I, yeah. I, I was watching it by myself and just home alone. And I'm just like, oh my god, like this is really upsetting. And and um, but but am, amazing. Didn't want to stop watching. So you you also weren't into Bruce Greenwood calling you daddy, <laughs> no, or calling not, himself not, daddy. Not this time. Not this no. time. <laughs> Double jeopardy, hundred <laughs> percent. Right, 13 days, I'm in. I'm in. <laughs> the core, yes, please. <laughs> and so while we're delving into that childhood story through flashbacks, it'll then cut back to present day at the lake house and different elements that are happening there and what Jessie's dealing with. And so basically you've got these three male figures in her life, her husband, the dad, and then this scary figure that she's been seeing since she was a child and she's fed a lot of her traumatic feelings and, and um, you know, moments through this figure who is either real or, mm. yeah, um, real you're, you're, or... The going, real dad. You're going really elaborate on the story here. Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> like I mean, no, nothing wrong with that. Yeah. But, like, the, the, the basic premise is that she's just handcuffed to a bed and and struggles to, like, how does she free herself? Oh, well, I'm not going to tell you on, that. <laughs> <laughs> that's just on the surface, Glenn. Yeah. <laughs> It's all a meta. It's, it's such a it basic works as a metaphor. That's true. You know it. <laughs> so I couldn't even get through the plot of mine. So it's, uh... And anyway, sorry. <laughs> the acting is incredible. Like it's basically it's a very um, contained movie. Yes, as you said, most of it she is stuck mm. on this bed. I was going to say, but it's un it's unnecessary because who doesn't want to watch Carla Cagino oh. handcuffed to a bed for ninety minutes just. Yeah. Just lie there. Yeah, <laughs> you don't have to do any acting. Yeah. She's incredible, like amazing. Mm. Like it's it's, it's so very good. vulnerable position to be in as an actress. Yeah. for the duration yeah. of the shoot. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And so, yeah, highly recommend. Oh, <laughs> excellent. And I cried. But oh, you, I cried you, so much. Oh, like we won't on, give it part? away. Like, were you were you crying at the at the the poor use of the daddy stuff at the beginning. <laughs> it could have been so much you... better. <laughs> now look, this wasn't how I pictured it. <laughs> what um, what Mal didn't say, and it's not a spoiler because it's very notorious in literature. Everyone know that knows of the story knows about it. The deglobing, like it is oh. one of the most horrific things I've ever seen. Yeah, ever. Like yeah. if you think the Hoblin in Misery was painful to watch. This yeah. trumps it. Yeah. Yeah. So it's worth it for that. It's like yeah. a, an absolute showpiece. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's how you get out of handcuffs, mate. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Dick loving. I was. Uh, <laughs> awesome. I'll just, to, I'll just uh, jump on the old YouTube. Bit of trivia too. Like, um, Gerald's game is set in the same universe as Dolores Claiborne, mm. uh, both movie and book. And it was part or it is part of the Eclipse trilogy. Eclipse, and yep. he just has not written the third one mm. yet. Yeah. So the yeah. So there's Slacker. an eclipse in this. There's, and there's an, an eclipse in Dolores yeah. Both um, deal with domestic issues. Yes. Um, Dolores Claiborne's much more of a domestic violence, you know, kind of thing. I mean, there's a real daddy in that one. Isn't there it? is a real yeah. daddy. It's David Strathan, and geez, that's a potent film. That one. Geez, David Strathan. I yeah. don't want to watch him being the daddy. He's the drunken, <laughs> abusive, no. pedophile daddy. I like. I like the drunken, like. You know, nice guy, nice bum who kind of yeah. you know, listens to you and tells you how to solve your problems. I love David that guy. I love that guy. Like, I really love him. Yeah, yeah, he's great. <laughs> and I only, but I only like it when he's playing like the kind of goofy. Well, then don't watch it. Yeah, yeah, I know. yeah I'm not, <laughs> well, I'm not. I wasn't going to anyway because isn't uh, is it Dolores Claiborne? Is that the one where Ron Eldard is the 
Is Ron Eldard like the boyfriend? Is he in that one? I don't know who Ron Eldard is. But anyway, it's got yeah. J- Jennifer Jason Lee and um and Kathy Bates. And Gerald's game, Henry Thomas is the dat the, yes. the actual oh, daddy. I forgot about that. In that, yeah. yeah. Uh, Henry Thomas, he's been in a, a few Stephen King ones. He was in uh, Doctor Strange. Yeah. Or Doctor Sleep, I should say. Doctor Sleep, yeah. Jeez, he wasn't in yeah, yeah, Sleep. yeah. <laughs> anyway. Do you want to talk about Marvel movies? <laughs> oh, let's not. <laughs> And um and then also Mike Flan he's Mike Flanagan yeah he's, he's adapting he did Doctor Sleep yeah um, yeah of course yeah, he, and, yeah he's a he's a great adapter yes he's uh he's got something a knack for telling these stories in a similar way that King tells them in book form mm. anyway um two awesome recommendations let's uh throw it over to Guillermo see what uh, see what's been happening in the world. How's it going, everybody? It's Guillermo here again from ScreenRealm.com, Australia's favorite entertainment website covering all things movies and television. As always, I'm here to tell you just a little bit about what we've covered on the website in the past week, kicking off with Avatar 2. That's right, we have more to go on regarding James Cameron's long-awaited sequel to his 2009 sci-fi hit Avatar, which is still the highest-grossing film ever made. Well, Disney Studios' presentation at CinemaCon 2022 in Las Vegas featured a spotlight on the follow-up, unveiling the film's title, when fans can expect to see the trailer, and and more. First things first, the sequel has been titled Avatar The Way of Water. As for the plot, here's the film's official logline so far. Set more than a decade after the events of the first film, Avatar The Way of Water begins to tell the story of the Sully family, Jake, Natiri and their kids. The trouble that follows them, the lengths they go to keep each other safe, the battles they fight to stay alive and the tragedies they endure. Returning cast members include Zoe Aldana, Sam Worthington, Sigourney Weaver, Stephen Lang and more. Newcomers include Kate Winslet, Cliff Curtis, Jermaine Clement, Michelle Yeoh and more. And don't forget there are four Avatar movies to come. Producer John Landau was at CinemaCon saying, At the centre of each of the four sequels will be the Sully family, each story will be a standalone and each will come to its own conclusion. He added that, when looked at as a whole, the journey across all four will create a larger epic saga. The teaser trailer for Avatar The Way of Water will be making its debut in cinemas with Marvel Studios film Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness. To push the hype even further, a remastered version of the first film will be released in cinemas this coming September. Avatar The Way of Water is currently scheduled to open in Australian cinemas on December 15th and US cinemas on December 16th. More CinemaCon news, The Batman is getting a sequel. During the Warner Brothers presentation at CinemaCon, Warner Brothers motion picture group boss Toby Emmerich made the announcement. Robert Pattinson will once again be playing Bruce Wayne slash Batman and director Matt Reeves will be returning at the helm. It's no shock that WB is keen to get cracking on a second film. The Batman has proven to be a hit, both critically and financially, 760 million worldwide at the time of recording, from a reported budget of around $185 million, and it's doing big numbers on HBO Max, which saw a whopping 4.1 million households tune in to watch during its first week on the US streaming service. The Batman's success is paving the way for a universe expansion, of course. Not only is a sequel on the way, but Reeves is also attached to two spin-off series currently in the works for HBO Max. Yet another CinemaCon story here, the third Venom movie has been confirmed. No details, no release date, no casting, no director, etc. were shared, just a soft announcement with the film's logo popping up in a closing sizzle reel that teased a number of other films in Sony's lineup. So Venom 3 is a go. And a bit of a shocker regarding Fast X, the 10th film in Universal's hit Fast and Furious franchise, director Justin Lin has walked away just days into production. Lin's decision to step away from the film comes down to, and I quote, creative differences. 
the split is said to be amicable. No details regarding what those possible creative differences are have been shared. It's certainly surprising news considering Lin has long been a major part of the series, playing a big role in steering the franchise by being at the helm of five chapters, including last year's Fast and Furious 9. Lin was also attached to direct the 11th film, which is to serve as the final film in the series. Universal is reportedly now moving fast on finding a new director. They want to keep that release date of May 19th, 2023. That about does it for me guys. As always, ScreenRealm.com for your latest movie news, TV news, trailers, streaming schedules, all that jazz. Thanks so much for having me everyone. Catch you next week. Shadow.
song speaks for itself, and I know that got uh, got you pretty happy there, Malzy, because oh, yeah. that was Golden News by David Bowie. Oh, yeah. Whoop, whoop, whoop. Yeah, Bowie means a lot to her. A lot. A lot. Tattoo, yeah. <laughs> My dog. <laughs> and that is from the Stevie. You mean Bowie. <laughs> <laughs> David Bowie. <laughs> That's from the Stephen King miniseries from 1991 called The Golden Years. Go figure. The Golden I thought that song was only used in the soundtrack of Night's Tale. <laughs> yeah, well, that's it. <laughs> it was completely appropriate that uh, Golden Years, they danced to Golden Years in the Middle Ages. I just don't reckon that the Golden Years miniseries would have been possible without It. Like, because It in the early 90s started this thing with everyone wanting to adapt Stephen King. Absolutely. You know, you had the Langoliers, the Tommyknockers, um, the Stand, obviously. And then there was the Golden Years, which was a really weird one because it wasn't quite horror, but it was sci-fi, almost Twilight Zone-y. Mm. Do you remember it? No. No? Oh, okay. Well, it was a, I think it was six episodes and it was it felt like the Stand in the early episodes of the Stand. Oh, that's my, that's my favourite part of the Stand. And it was essentially, uh, it was a bit like a Benjamin Button story. It's about an old man janitor who works at a like some kind of lab and there's an experiment gone wrong and then the, the effect of it is he ages backwards. And then, ah. so then he has the government after him. Right. Right. And it's, it's actually really effective, but it's very hokey Stephen King as well, particularly at the start because he, he's like an old man and all he does is complain about how old he is. You know, oh, the old bones, you know, and all this. I don't know what you're talking oh, about. Sounds <laughs> <laughs> like, like but, but wait for it. So, but, and yet, and yet they introduce <laughs> him, <laughs> but they introduce him riding a bicycle to work and he gets to work and he's all puffed. It's like, doesn't sound like Ben. No. <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> but he pulls up and he's like, oh, you know, like he's all sore and shit. It's like, don't ride a fucking bike. But also then he goes, you know, Oh, you know, I'm feeling old for a, I'm a 65 year old man. It's like 65 is not old these not old, days. No. Like, <laughs> it's just it's when you retire. It's when you start living. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's when you start your life. Exactly. Um. Anyway, so it's it's much more closely aligned with your fire starters and your dead zones and thinner that kind of Stephen King. But um, Ooh, I like that thinner. I'm actually I'm quite a Stephen King neophyte. Mm. Although I like it, as it, you know, the more you mention, the more I'm like, oh, I've seen that. I've seen that. I've yeah. seen that. But I was never. Because I never really read the books. Yep. I never really sought out the Stephen King sure. movies because that meant anything. Interestingly, though, The Golden Years was never a book. It's the it's one of the ones it's he adapted he, he only adapted. for the screen. Like, he oh, wrote the screenplay the from play. scratch. Yep. There was no <clears throat> basis for it, you know. In a book. Well, Benj- I wouldn't, I wouldn't have known either way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But he did, have, he did have Thinner, which, you know, was essentially going backwards in weight. Yes. Because it's a fat guy becoming skinny. He gets cursed by a gypsy. That's right. There's no gypsies in Golden Years, though. There's no gypsies in Australia. You well, know how what? How can I get uh, cursed? <laughs> I wouldn't mind getting cursed with a thinner. <laughs> That's right. Beats keto. Yeah. <laughs> no work. I eat whatever I want. I reckon I've talked too much about Golden Years. I think you've talked, you've talked a lot about it. It's not even, is it your pick? No. No. <laughs> No, I'm just I'm just explaining the song. <laughs> so let's let's talk about it instead, um, because that will just essentially lead us into the interview that we recorded. How about that? So this is obviously, as we said, the miniseries that gave people nightmares. I think it's arguably Stephen King's most iconic story. That and the stand are probably the two. Mm. I don't know, then you can say Carrie and Christine. Yeah, depends. Yeah. It depends what side of it you're coming from. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. He's all right, that Stephen King. He's he? not too bad. <laughs> He's, he's, written a, he's written a couple of good, 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 good He's written a couple of good 
So we, 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 we like meteor <laughs> shit. We, uh, we, we, we covered a fair bit of ground with these guys. So these guys being, uh, do you want to pronounce John's name? Campo Piano. There you go, John Campo Piano, <laughs> as well as his co-director Chris Griffiths and their producer Gary Smart. And uh, it's f- yeah, we covered a lot of ground. This is a fun chat. Yeah, it was super fun to talk to. Yeah, like really nice guys. Good Movie Monday is made possible with help from Kaiju Beer. Unashamedly intense Australian craft beer. John, Chris, Gary, welcome to Good Movie Monday. How are you all? Great, thank you. Now, you guys all look around about the same age um, as mm-hmm. us. I guess Ben and I probably look a little bit older, but do, do we have the same story here? Like, did, did Stephen King's It scare the shit out of all of us as kids? Yeah. Who wants yeah. to go first? Yeah. This is always that awkward thing, isn't it? Because I've got the multi screen yeah, yeah. going on. Um, I mean, yeah, for me, it was um, always hearing it uh, um, in primary school at, uh, at the table. It's one of those things that you heard about before you saw it. And then when you saw it, yeah, <laughs> you can see why everyone was talking about it at the dinner table in primary school. I, yeah, I remember sure. it being on, I think it was on Sky Television over here. It was on a uh, two nights. I remember it obviously vividly, the, the premiere of it and watching it with my nan and was absolutely loving it. And then she bought me the VHS about a year after, I think it came out then. So it just... Anything with Tim Curry back back then for me, and obviously a scary clown was perfect. Yeah, right. yeah. I think for me it was the seeing the the spine of the VHS in the video store before even seeing it, and it was just you know Tim Curry as Pennywise with his sort of like deadpan expression, and I remember that caught my attention. I was like, man, what is that? You know, freaked me out. The weird thing yeah, for me as well is I I used to watch. Um, the Waltons on a Sunday for some strange reason. It was repeated over here. So Richard Thomas straight away seeing him as a, as a connection there as well. That's a really sad connection. But it was just, you know, to go, oh, that's the guy from the Waltons and his mole. So I remember that. I like how he talks about, he talks about in the doco, he does talk about his mole and how they gave yeah, one yeah. to Jonathan Brandis. Yeah. Okay, he doesn't mention, Ooh, taboo. Yeah. <laughs> but he doesn't mention why he never got the thing, why he didn't, you know, you know, was it was it that John Candy says in uh, Uncle Buck, like, here's a quarter, go get a rat to gnaw that thing off your face? Why didn't he get rid of it? I often say that to Chris about his face in general, but, you know, it cost, it cost more than a quarter. I think it became a bit of a trademark for him, didn't it, as well, really? He, he was known for it, wasn't he? Same as that, how you can be known for a mole, but uh, he was known for it. Like, I get it with Cindy Crawford. Like, she was known for that mole. But Richard yeah, Thomas's yeah. mole was like he's got yeah. it in like you know size like Battle Beyond the Stars and stuff, and you're like, what? yeah, <laughs> they can't get rid of the mole. <laughs> this, yeah. is, this has become all this I ever think is sorry, it was just me, just me, just yeah, me yeah. Getting very upset about Molly, Richard Thomas's mole. Molly, 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 yeah, Molly, right. Molly, Molly. That's what I was thinking. <laughs> well, um, John, individually, you, sorry, I've got, John's got a mole, haven't you, somewhere, John? I do, oh, but I, I can't show it. I can't show it to you. Right John. Now. Oh no, it's you, definitely. Yeah. Okay. Show me later. <laughs> um, so individually, the three of you are like all seasoned creators of retrospective sort of behind the scenes documentaries. Uh, how did your worlds all come together? I guess um, for Chris and Gary, you'd been working together first for a long time. Yeah, we too long. worked together. Way too long. I, yeah, Chris and I've been working together about about eight nine years now, and we've met at a a screening of Return of the Living Dead with Don Kaya for the actor. Chris came along to that and we became friends really and Chris got involved with the business. And then I got Chris on board for Leviathan 
uh, as a researcher at first and kind of like, you know, some uh, odds and shrugs, wasn't it, Chris? I think it was really. And then Chris muscled his way in and booted out the director <laughs> and then Chris became a director. Um, but that's a legal story we can't get into. But um, really weird with John was, I, I, I was, I'd spoke to John, I and mean, John will probably uh, verify this in a minute. Uh, I spoke to John, um, I think he messaged me about some information he wanted on uh, fair use and, and documentaries, because we just done a Leviathan, we used quite a lot of obviously footage in that. And then I remember we, we were discussing doing Pennywise, and then John posted a picture, I think, of a balloon. I thought it was you, John. Mm -hmm. And I think yeah, the, little, yeah, the yeah. little shit, he's not mm -hmm. doing that. Well, we want to do it. And then it, we kind of just connected John, didn't we? And I remember we had a conversation yeah. or something. Yeah, that's how it happened. Yeah, I was trying to figure out, like, so we had done a documentary about Pet Cemetery, and then I was sort of, the, my partner on that project had kids and, and didn't want to do another film. So I was thinking about what I could do next and always wanted to do the, the miniseries. And I think Gary and Chris had gotten to know Bart Mixon from the RoboDoc, their RoboCop documentary. And, and Bart has this amazing archive of stuff from all of his films, including it. So um, I think that sort of planted the seed for the guys. And then we just sort of connected. Yeah, and we had a call and it was pretty easy. And we started working together, so. I think he yeah. tried contacting me at some point as well, John, but as evident, everyone oh, really? was absolutely shit again, battle messages. I'm almost positive you did. And then no, God, I, I probably was like, oh, did, yeah. I've got to get back to that guy about it. And then it was just like, I was like, I've just spoken to this guy about it. And I was like, Oh fuck yeah! I remember. I remember Chris, you telling me that some weirdo had messaged you about it, and you're ignoring him. So yeah. I remember happening correctly. Yeah. But yeah, it kind of it just happened really nice like that. And yeah, you know, I think me and John had a conversation online. We think we had a phone call. I'm sure we did. It was quite a long phone call. Mm -hmm. uh, and we just yeah. kind of we just really snowballed uh, from that really. And, um, obviously, you know, we'll go into it, but John was instrumental really in getting obviously key members of the cast on board and once they were on board it just got bigger and bigger the project well i'm glad you said that because um i was about to ask you about wrangling so many of the original cast members there um can you just talk us through some of that process i'm guessing it was a bit long and arduous but were, was anyone reluctant did anyone refuse <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah i mean we had people that refused um you know, a netto tool and, and maybe one or two others, but by and large people were, you know, I, I'm sure Chris and Gary can speak to this too from their other projects that like, you know, once you get a big name attached and for this, it was Tim Curry, you know, once you can approach people and say, Hey, you know, we want to do this documentary. We'd like to have you involved. We've got Tim Curry on board. You know, it, people then tend to kind of fall in line and it becomes easier to get people. But that was, what do you think, Chris? Uh, that was like a year of sort of like nurturing that, well, yeah. that, I think oh, to, God, to yeah. him, no. you know. I mean, particularly Tim, yeah. Sorry, I, I just remember, sorry for interrupting because I remember people telling us we couldn't get Tim and we would never have Tim as well. I remember people saying that to us. I think when we yeah. got in and that confirmation came through, it was just like, you know, it was like, you know, it was cloud nine for everybody because as you said, open the floodgates for him because if you've got Tim Curry on board with a project he's never spoken about before, people are going to want to come on board then. And they just, you know, obviously Tom Lee Wallace came on and obviously Bart was already friendly. But it was, and I remember it being a long, long process before we even announced who was involved. It's a bit of a regular occurrence we find across doing all these kind of things that you get, you know, one or two people. I mean, Bart Nixon, who, um, again, he was incredibly instrumental, as John's alluded, you know, um, that guy's just got an archive um, to end them all in terms of all the films he's worked on. And um, so we had a few people, but you normally do find with these projects is sometimes people are reluctant if you haven't got the head honcho. And it's, it's probably like a respect thing or something, but it was like once we got Tim, I think we were all dancing on that one, weren't we? 
Yeah, I think we were really lucky as well because on other projects, you know, we did Leviathan, the story of Hellraiser, and we, we struggled to get Clive and it was to and fro and then Clive couldn't do it because of his health and Ash didn't want to do it. And we got some criticism for that, but it was annoying because, you know, we tried every single avenue to get those people. We did Robocop, uh, Robodoc, obviously, Peter Wellett. It's taken us six years to get Peter Wellett to come on board. And we finally got him after six years and a hundred other people being on board. But getting Tim virtually straight away, uh, that the cemented the project really. It meant we had to do it. You know, it, once we had him, this kind of like idea that we had and kind of, you know, sometimes these ideas come to, come to fruition, sometimes we don't. We didn't have a choice and we had to move forward because we had Tim confirmed <laughs> for a, a shoot in LA in the summer and was like, bugger, we got to do this. And, and you know, credit to John, as I said, um, I, I'd worked on the previous projects getting people and I know how hard it is, but John managed to get a load of people for this. You know, he'd, we'd already made contacts with people like Tommy Lee Wallace and Bart, but John, you know, got everybody could think, I think he even got the lamp from a library scene and a carpet as well. <laughs> I was going to say, like, Glenn and, I, Glenn and I actually joked beforehand that if a kid walked past the set and farted <laughs> during production, you managed to be there. <laughs> like, it was... We did, yeah. I mean, it's probably in the documentary. There's probably about 20 people who aren't in the documentary. They're in the bonus features because we've got so many people. But what I like about that is we did it on, I said, repeat myself, about Leviathan. Uh, and people go, why are you getting all these people? Why are you getting the clapper loader? Why are you getting the script advisor? Because these people are on set every single day. Tim goes on set for, you know, 10 days maybe of a three-month shoot, you know, and Otto tool is the same. Whereas a clapper loader or a script advisor or an assistant director is there every single moment of that production. They see everything and nobody really cares about their stories sometimes. So it's projects like this, and obviously now these projects are growing for people, where you get their stories and they're really important. Those stories are because we get the juice out and the gold out. And don't we really, John and Chris, I think we get some really nice stories out of these people. You look at someone like Bart. I mean, the guy doesn't shut up. So, but that's, that's really <laughs> good for us because he just got so many stories. I think most of them are made up, but they're interesting. <laughs> <for that. laughs> yeah, I really enjoyed that was a screamer. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> It's a fictional documentary. The, uh, <laughs> yeah. I, I thoroughly enjoyed. You had the, the the woman who did the casting, whose whose name escapes me at the moment, but she was fascinating. Like listening to her about the search for the kids and and teaming and pairing everyone up and doing them in lots and stuff. That was a, like a real fascinating part of the doco. I thought it was a partnership, wasn't it? <laughs> Mark as well, wasn't it? The yeah, like Victoria Burroughs yeah. and then Mark Tillman. Yeah, I mean, because the miniseries relies so heavily on this bouncing back and forth of time period. So the, the casting of those characters, the adults and the kids were so important. So casting was a big part of the process. So to have her kind of talking about it was neat. You know, it was interesting. I was amazed at how little <laughs> they've changed over the years. Like just the kids. In their, in their, yeah, the kids and the adults. I mean, the adults look like hardly any time has passed. Some of them are still the same yeah. height as well, I think. But the kids look exactly the same. Yeah, it's strange. Especially Adam uh, and uh, Brandon. I mean, they look exactly... They've aged really well. I mean, and, and obviously in, um, Elizabeth as well. Um, some of them have gone a bit bald. Some of them have. No offence. But um, uh, some of them, no, you know... <laughs> Yeah, but who's that? They, who's that? Yeah. No offense. Uh, <laughs> the, the, the guy with the hat. The guy with the hat. You know, you know, John wears a wig, don't you? That's a wig, John. Um, he found it on the set of uh, Penny and Stephen King's It. It was a dead cat. So anyway, I um, I think it was um, you yeah, having him on board. Any casting directors again is gold because you get the stories out of who was supposed to be in the role, who who the ideas are, and sometimes that's never printed in like Fangoria's and stuff like that. And I think one thing we found with Pennywise was 
there was no behind the scenes information really on on the film and there was no featurettes there's a couple of commentaries i think that were done which kind of like you know very one side of the director's point of view so getting those two casting directors you know we we learned stuff about mac mcdowell going to be cast alice cooper roddy mcdowell I never knew he's an obviously my, some of my icons are Roddy McDowell and Malcolm McDowell. To know they could have been Pennywise, but obviously it's always going to be obviously Tim. Mm. But again, what what could have been with those people? And I didn't know that before we set out in this production. That's amazing. I, I can speak on behalf of uh, Ben when I say that we're both pretty jealous that you got to visit Richard Messer in his own house. Uh, can tell me he's the nice guy that we both imagine he is. Over to you, John. <laughs> John. Yeah, no, we did that after yeah we did that one a little bit later uh with our second unit guys fuzz on the lens um yeah richard mazza was great really interesting really soft-spoken and quiet um uh but a, a nice guy yeah because he's funny guy he's, until he gets to the part talking about the fridge yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. Then he, nearly burns, he nearly burns out the fucking microphone when he does that hi kids yeah we are float down here fucking trying to edit that in there after fuck jesus christ the audio on that <laughs> sorry carry on there was, there was there was a there was a kind of a funny moment so I, when i was emailing with him i said you know uh we've got friends that make their own whiskey they've got a distillery and said I, i'm gonna bring you a bottle as a thank you to have a, you know he had us to our house he said, oh, that sounds great, you know, and so we show up and I go into the kitchen, we're setting up and I said, Richard, here's the bottle. And he looks at me and he goes, I'm 20 years sober. And it was like, <laughs> it was so awkward. And he was like, I'm going to give it to my wife. Thank you. And I just kind of yeah, like, Christmas gift. like, like, that, I'm, I'm, that, like then Homer you, Simpson you, gift, like going through the hedges. I was just like, <laughs> it was very awkward. You, you, you caught him and necking it in the corner then, didn't you? <laughs> <laughs> I tell you, I tell you one book who I thought was brilliant, and I know it's a bit cliche to say was Tim because we were invited to Tim's house, uh, and it was a re- I remember us being really nervous about going to Tim's house. I think it was the second day we were shooting Tim. We had one day just to shoot him. Uh, we'd been shooting in the studio the other people, and we were all arguing and panicking, and we went to go and buy buying a bottle of wine and this kind of stuff like that. And you build up this kind of thing, you know, that he's going to be nasty and he's going to be horrible because even though he's not that kind of person, but you just think it. Um, we got there and we was waiting in, the, in his living room uh, and we had a spread out for us as well, which never, ever happens on these shoots. We had, you know, cakes and coffees and that just waiting, a big spread. And again, me and Chris and obviously John have done probably over 200 interviews. You never ever get that for anyone. So it must be being a Brit, maybe. Uh, and then he comes out and he was just so gracious and funny. And uh, I think straight away the kind of tension was gone. I think the fact was in his house as well. And it allowed us to go there made a massive difference once we got that out of the way i think the rest was pretty much a breeze really wasn't it lads i think we'd kind of yeah. he was the one we were worried about and he's the one yeah. we, he was most important to us on a for a production point of view obviously everybody's important but i think the fact we was told we couldn't get him and then got him uh, and then he was you know he was very gracious and, and, and understanding of us being green a little bit i think <laughs> and yeah that's that's it's always good to hear those stories i think with all of the talking heads that you've got in the film, I think not having Stephen King's presence serves the film so much better because I don't think it distracts, you know, because I think having him there might have distracted a little bit. Um, I'm wondering, though, did you try and get him? Obviously, you, I, I'd assume you would have, um, but for me, it feels so natural not having him there that I, I kind of wonder. John? Yeah, we, we, tried, to have, we tried to get him, and I, I tried to get him for the Pet Cemetery doc, so I'm, I'm 0 for 2, but I don't think it... Uh... I don't think it takes away, like you said. I mean, no, I think um, I, yeah, I, I, I really think worked with that that archival footage, like of yeah, him, I, him 
I think as well, because as much as it's it's Stephen's original work, it's Tommy's film, you know, and he's Tommy Tommy's film and and Lawrence's as well, uh, Larry Cohen, Zoe, Zoe, sorry. Um, And I think he's important to be in it, but I don't think what other than having him interviewed, I'm not just saying it's now, you know, in retrospect, but he would have contributed for the beginning part, obviously about the book and the writing. That would have been probably it then, because it's about the movie then, and it's about the interpretation of Tommy and the interpretation of Larry and the interpretation of Tim and the casting and, the, and the, obviously the kids. So I think you it's know, that kind of it's that kind that. of worms thing, isn't it? Yeah, he would have been. I think if you <laughs> if you ventured down, I mean that's one thing in terms of like the narrative. You know, after all this time, we were all going back and forth on the narrative kind of gradually evolves, um, which have all luckily kind of translated into the special features now. But there's so many angles you can look at it and Pennywise. You can look at, you know, Origins, the story, the miniseries itself, the stuff that we all know that followed afterwards, especially recently. That would have just completely... I mean, that's we're currently, what, two hours, two hours, five minutes. That would have probably made the documentary at least double that. And you've got to kind of... That's the thing we're learning as we go along as well, is where you've got to kind of try and almost like draw the line a bit. And, and that even meant like excising some of the players for this documentary, which actually have fortuitously now, big word for me, um, ended up making like really nice bonus features, like the extras and everything like that. So as I think one of you guys have just said, um, you're absolutely right. Going through the edit and having that archive stuff, which was fantastic because that main um, footage we got of him doing a lecture that was uh, donated to us, uh, which John had sourced from a university. And it really helps just, you want to talk a bit about the origins, but like that's virtually clear that, you know, in that really nice little anecdote before the credits have even started. And then that's yeah. as far as you can kind of go really with Stephen King's initial involvement, at least. I agree, yeah. Well done, Chris. And, <laughs> Thank you. And no, no one in the film really uh, references, like you just alluded to, no one really references the 2017, 2019 films, which makes sense because you're not talking about that one. But was that a concerted effort to keep it out or was, it, was there yeah, a point in time yeah. where that was in? I think we discussed it. I think at the time they were, it hadn't hadn't come out. It was obviously we, we'd already seen what Pennywise was going to look like. We'd already seen the obviously images of Bill as Pennywise, and we'd seen the trailer and whatnot. I know. Uh, I think John went to go and see it not long after in September. I think at uh, the premiere. I think it was. I think we didn't want to go down that route of, of you know this was a celebration of the original film. I think going towards obviously then the remake, which again a lot of people love. People still obviously love. Uh, uh, Tim Curry's interpretation. I just think we took away from the documentary. We do need Robocop as well. We haven't looked at the remake either of Robocop for the same reason. If you're celebrating the original film, it just takes up a lot of screen time then, interviewing people just, you know, for something which is not actually relevant. I think we had asked, we had asked the question, didn't we? But it was more like an informal, yeah. oh, so what do you think of what you've seen of the yeah. trailer? And it was, yeah. it was interesting, but especially when you look at that footage now, when we're going through the edit, and you're like, well, that's completely redundant because it's just people guessing like oh i think it's gonna be good oh it looks good which in the context <laughs> I, think it, I think it would have i think it would have dated the documentary too because it hadn't yeah. come out so it would have it would have i think the yeah. doc as it stands now is more evergreen i think had we included commentary about what people thought of the remake it would have dated it really fast you know yeah 100 yeah um so i i have a question for chris and then maybe john you can take a stab at it um can you tell us about having a co-director? Like, how did that work? And was there any sort of conflict or struggle to give up that autonomy? Especially transatlantic, <laughs> uh, transatlantic co-directors. Yeah. 
Yes, I was, yeah. I was. I was the referee in between these two. It's quite nice. <laughs> I know we've we've had our, we've had our hairy moments, um, and I'm happy to say that now because we're well over it and past it. But um, at times, it's a bit of a struggle. Um, not it wasn't so much in terms of like, I think we we all unanimously, and why it sort of took as long as it did. And I honestly, I will say this now, I genuinely believe where it's got to and what time we've brought this out has worked in favour of where we've all come from. What we could have produced, you know, some years ago was not what we would have produced now. So we all struggled a little bit in that respect. To be honest, we had a lot of um, bonding moments, John and I, because, um, and thank God he is on the other side of the pond to us, because, uh, I mean, I think there was one stint I did, we did virtually together a 24-hour run from something like, for me, six in the morning till six the next morning, trying to get the documentary ready for its uh, premiere at Sitges in Spain. So, to be honest, that was really handy because it's where John and I really came into our own because we had to do this mad scramble of getting everything in place and everything correct. John was able to do the kind of the admin, the organizing, and what pictures you need, what photos you need, what videos. Um as I was doing the edit. So where it's like four in the clock, four o'clock in the morning for me, it's something like about 10-ish if I'm right for you, John. So we we, mm-hmm. we definitely, I feel like we both went through the trenches, especially in that last hurdle. Whereas we all, I don't know, just with the gap and everything between us all. Um, I don't know, it was just times where, because we had an, we, we have got obviously the main editor on this, Nick. Um, and then I kind of took over towards the end, basically, to kind of work on things like animations um, and just kind of final cosmetic tweaks. Um, but yeah, we, we the last thing really was kind of working through, I guess, what was it, the legal side, where we had a bit of a shock to the system. Where it's like, yeah, no, you can't use that, change that. And you had to really think outside the box. And that was in the span of a couple of days, really, to get that ready for the festival. So it was strenuous, but it was, like I said, a very very much a bonding moment. So I'm very glad I had John there. Even if he wasn't co-director, would have still been doing that, if that makes sense. So, yeah. Does that kind of give you an answer? It does. Yeah, for sure. John, do you want to add to that? Um, I think that's that that all makes sense. I mean, I think Chris and I were also both contributing to the narrative structure. Um, so it, a, a kind of a co-director made, made sense. Um, and there was a period where Chris was, you know, more focused on a, a different doc project. So I, I would jump in and kind of spend more time with the script and, and figuring out the, the structure of the, of the doc. So, um, I think it just made sense to have co-directors and, and especially at the end there, Chris and I worked really well. So, and, uh, Gary, what about you as a producer was working with two directors, a different process than usual. Yeah. Um, I think as you said, you know, the documentary kind of evolved over the last few years and I think, um, having, Chris and Chris and John have very different personalities, uh, but very similar as well in, in a weird way. Uh, John's very calm but direct, and Chris is very um, loud and obnoxious, um, but in a very good way, in a very positive way. I, I mean, Chris is like a brother to me, so I can say that. But um, it was it was a very weird balance because I'd have Chris going off on one minute and John going off in a different way. But I think. They worked together. I mean, we had, we had some rough patches, but I, I think it worked because you had John, who's very kind of story focused, very much about, you know, it wants all the kind of eyes uh, dotted and the T's crossed. Chris is very creative. So it was balancing those kind of personalities a little bit, really. Uh, and it was a bit, it was nice to have that kind of, that kind of bouncing as well a little bit, because actually what we achieved then was a very good talk. You know, I, I'm very, very proud of this project. But I think we, if, as Chris mentioned earlier on, if we would have just done it 
two years ago, three years ago, and got it out there, it wouldn't be what it was today. And I think it's very, very, it's a very classy documentary. I think it is, and that's because of having John's involvement from very much a, a Stephen King focus and loving the miniseries. And Chris, who didn't read, I mean, Chris will admit, I think at first he wasn't a huge, huge fan of the miniseries. I think he's grown to love the series over over the last four years. Uh, so it was, an, it, yeah, it, it was an interesting. Um, battle sometimes but, what, but I, I think it i think it shows as well to be honest from what we're saying now um gary and i have definitely said this before is you kind of think right hell leviathan was like this uh brewster the fright night documentary is like that pet cemetery is like that and what we've established is it really is like it feels like a heart you can see the two stars at least i can anyway yeah, see right. it's half the Fright Night documentary and half the Pet Cemetery, you can sort of see the, the personalities behind it, I guess, is what I'm trying to say. And that's what's really nice. And I think it has turned into a classic documentary. And I'll admit now, you know, an, an initial trailer, which I'll throw my hands up, I sort of had finished cutting a few years ago. I've watched that as reference for a new trailer we've cut for it um, just recently. And fuck me, it's amateur hour. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm happy to admit that myself. Now, I genuinely look at it and I'm like, what the fuck was I thinking? It really looks like something cobbled together by a, a college student or something. And so that's why I'm just kind of, I really appreciate that, yes, it has taken us a while to sort of let this see the light of day, but it's given us that time to evolve as filmmakers, to actually churn out something a lot better than it would have been had we just rushed it, if that makes sense. I, I do want to say, give some credit to um, Hank Stars and Lawrence um, as well, because getting them on board two years ago, or 18 months ago, maybe it was, John, two years, I think, uh, they've helped shape it, because I think we said before, you know, when you've got two directors, one who's, who's very creative and a lot of flair, and the other one who's very, you know, he wants, as much, he wants information, he wants it to be really kind of detailed, and he wants the viewer to get the best possible project what you end up doing then is having a long documentary and actually having Lawrence and Hank come on board saying, no, it's got to be 100 minutes, 120 minutes. It's got to be this. You've got to remove this. This is not relevant. You know, having an outsider come in, because when you were involved and you did the interviews, and I was there as producer of the interviews, you, you do get attached to the project and you get attached to the people and you go, oh, it's not fair cutting so-and-so. That person's really good. But actually having Hank and Lawrence come on board made a massive difference to us. And again, that's been a battle, you know, that's two other people who aren't part of our little crew who come on board, uh, who have obviously got good pedigrees themselves. Uh, it's been a massive learning curve, this project, but I think it's kind of really shaped up the way we're going to look at things in the future, how we're looking now at the Icon documentary, Robert England, how we're looking at Police Academy, how we're looking at a RoboDoc. Um, and that's obviously what we've, a lot of stuff we've learned from this project. Awesome. So you've, you've the question. They're both irritating, yeah. Chris and John. <laughs> oh, you've, you've spoken there about a few things you've got sort of bubbling away in the pipeline as well, and we would love to sort of maybe get you back and, and talk about those at, a, at another time. But we're about to wrap this up, but I wanted to end on whether or not you guys have any favourite stories that you've taken away from this. One that I loved particularly was um, that moment where the the spider is revealed to the cast members and John Ritter starts by saying like this is not what we agreed to this was not in the script and then he says it's fucking awesome <laughs> that, yeah. that that was a great moment do you have any favorite moments from you know stories that were told I, I mean Bart's a very good raconteur Bart Nixon so all of Bart's stories are good but I really liked um John I'm gonna forget his name now uh who played the dad uh, Frank Turner 
Uh, yeah, I really yeah, like Frank. I don't know what it was about Frank. Yeah. He, he, was, he was like your uncle, Frank was. I remember we were waiting outside from him in Canada and when he came dotting along, this little man, and it's like he's such a narco, big embrace straight away. And I think his stories about obviously the media worms being glued to the face and that kind of stuff, uh, and how he embraced mm-hmm. it really, because I think he was known for being kind of like a, a different kind of character actor. And when he became obviously this real nasty piece of work, I think his bond with Beverly was quite nice. And I think we've got quite nice stories out. I just liked him. I really liked, for some reason, I kind of really liked Frank. So it's not a great, it's not a great answer to you, but I just, you know, you, you kind of like, you know, you just like people. Uh, so that's, that's my one. Obviously Bart's stories as well. Awesome. What about the other two? What about you, Chris? I'm, I'm do you know what? I'm really struggling. We had we had some like you know in terms of yeah one of the, one one interview he was great. Chrissy's Chrissy's Chris Chris who played Belch. It's going to be cigarette as well with Tim. Your cigarette with Tim is going to be a, a good. Story oh, I'm going to say oh yeah, I, I yeah. cherish that. John's got a photo. Yeah, I got I got to have a. a I was really surprised that Tim smoked. I'm like that's you know really bad for your health. But he um yeah we both had a Marlboro out in his um uh, his back garden which was really really cool. And so obviously I'm just trying to spin lyrical on things like you know oh yeah the uk and uh, where i'm from which is uh, in wales and he's like yeah i've been there i did a theater performance there the once so that was really really cool another thing i suppose it's not funny but it was uh, somewhat of an eye-opener is that we of course what's different to i think everything else we've done so far is dead mouse um, and john was really campaigning that might have been where there was some sticking points amongst all of us in terms of time and um, was actually going to visit the locations and especially in hindsight, and my God, in terms of like what use it's proven, especially in regards to um, legal restrictions we've had, you know, on using copyright material, the B-roll footage we captured in um, Vancouver and where we got to vi- uh, visit, like, um, can't say it without laughing, Beaver Lake, <laughs> uh, but going to all the locations was absolutely uh, phenomenal and really sort of, I think, worked well within the documentary because that was one of those last minute things again wasn't it john the um intro to the vancouver section where we were able to right utilize the footage we shot with like kind of the ghostly voices of the characters from the scenes where um those locations took place so um, i think that was one of my favorite things i'm sure there's going to be much better things i could spin out but i'm drawing a blank at the moment so over to you john <laughs> i mean i think I, it's kind of a cheat answer but i think anytime people we interviewed talking about things not related to the miniseries I thought was really interesting. So like Tim Curry talking about his experiences with clowns. I mean, that was a pretty meta, you know, here we, here we are interviewing Tim who played Pennywise talking about seeing clowns at the circus when he was a kid. I thought those moments were really interesting. And, and um, you know, the, the clown section, I think is like one of my favorites in the doc because it's, it's you know, hearing people talk about their experiences and their, you know, their fears or, or maybe they weren't afraid of clowns. Um, gives the viewer something a little bit, a little bit different. And so those, those like non mini series moments in a way were kind of some of my favorites. Yeah. Awesome. Well, I think um, Pennywise, the story of it is like a really awesome documentary and people watching this or listening to this should definitely find it on social media, follow it, keep up to date with what's going on with it and check it out at the monster fest weekend. The right. We'll see see, see it at monster fest. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> I was I was coming to that. I was coming to that. But guys, thanks so much for your time. Um, it's been great chatting with you, and hopefully we can do it again with an upcoming project. Thank you. Thanks, man. Wicked. Thank you, boys. Thank you. Cheers. Welcome to Bonehead Weekly Fun. Uh, thanks, <laughs> James. <laughs> that damn thing, guys. We're talking.
right into the microphone. Uh, that's mean, a good beverage. Y'all ever have a beverage? That's all they drink down there, you know. Stephen King TV movie. So I'm going to go first. Go for one it. One of my favorite Stephen King novels is Desperation. It's the one Same that here. never gets enough, enough attention. I even like the Bachman version that came out, the regulators at the same time, which is a lot of the same characters reversed in different order and different things. I enjoy it. Love it. I'm going to give you a little history about the TV movie that was actually eventually directed by Mick Garris. Shocker written by Stephen King for ABC was that actually it was going to be for New Line. I don't know if you guys knew this, the script and everything. It was going to be from is going to be a movie at New Line. They never got it greenlit. It is not one of my favorite movies. I think Tom Skerritt is completely miscast in the film. Well, Tom Skerritt is mostly miscast in most of his roles. But Ron Perlman as Collie and Trajan or whatever his name is, is amazing. I love Desperation. Desperation, the book has one of my favorite ending lines of all time. God forgive me. I hate critics as he comes down and blows himself up to you put talk into the ground forever. Then I'll go second. Yeah. Cause I, by the way, this is something Joe and I agree on the regulators, which I called the renegades prior to hitting record and Joe didn't correct me. The regulators. Okay. I was too busy correcting James. Yeah. The regulators and desperation are two of my favorite uh, novels of Stephen King's. Um, but, um, and this one's not a shocker by any means, but I do want to talk about Storm of the Century because it oh, is way better than Desperation. I just knew that I'd like, I just love the story of Desperation. Yeah. So much. And it is what it is honestly my favorite Stephen King tele, tele movie ever made. It, 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 it beats the stand for me. I know it's that's crazy for most people. Good, Chad. I, I mean, it's probably, I probably prefer the stand, but man, Storm of the Century is better. Yeah, I, I, yeah, but I mean, it's just. I have oof. a place in my heart. Yeah, but in all fairness, REM's song "Storm of the Century" is not as good as REM's song "Stand." No, but the villain in "Storm of the Century", Century. is so good. Yeah, Colm Fiore, I'm probably butchering that name, is amazing in that role. I mean, he's just so methodical, and and everything about it. And Tim Daly as the dad. It, it's a great play between the two and then everybody trapped into this small town and if you haven't seen it and suddenly he's there's this villainous man and he wants something and they're trying to figure out what he wants uh it is a great movie if you haven't seen it check out all three parts james no Joe. Hold on. two things real quick for yeah one, this is for james born in sin come on in that's the one great line from the movie and number yeah. two it's the stephen king story that people don't bitch about the ending no because that ending is damn good yeah the only other one that they don't bitch about it got changed the mist which is also very similar to storm and century and the green mile i think the, in the green mile green mile end yeah yeah those, yeah. those are good endings james Ow. uh so i'm going to talk about it was going to be a miniseries and they made it a series that it would only lasted one season kingdom hospital based on mars van trier the kingdom the original kingdom i like kingdom hospital kingdom hospital is definitely different than the kingdom uh, it's got a little bit more i think a little bit more humor a little bit other things going on but it's basically set in a hospital it's er with poltergeist and other stuff going on the lines in it are so great the weirdness is so great you do me a solid i do, I do you a solid but it also I has do. one of the best soundtracks yeah. Red Dragon Tattoo by Fountains of Wayne, the Gourds version of Gin and Juice. Yeah. I mean, there's just so much going on. It's a really... Na, 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 hey, hey, hey goodbye, goodbye. With, the, with the dance number. 
Yeah, as, as somebody's dying, yes. Yes. The reasons I love it is the reason that it probably would never have got a second season at all. It's just too it's much. It's just too weird. It's too, I mean, there's some episodes that are dark. You have, you have, oh, a doctor messed up and now this little girl's brain dead. You have a talking aardvark and ear Anubis thing. You have a baseball episode. It is definitely something that you watch it and, and, and you will not be able to predict what's going to happen every episode because it is all over the place and i think it works so well because it's not stephen king being adapted it's stephen king adapting somebody else watch the original kingdom if you can and then watch this i mean by the way the original kingdom is way weirder though this does not have near the udo kier birth scene weirdness and that has been bonehead weekly fun size udo kier so for my second pick this week, I'm going to talk about Salem's Lot. Uh, yeah, good <laughs> on you. Uh, what are you talking about? Toby Hooper? Yeah. <laughs> no. Although I wish I had mentioned the fact that the, it was directed by Toby Hooper when I was talking about it. I forgot that part. So I'm talking about the fantastic 2004 remake that they shot oh. right here in Melbourne, Australia. They did. They did. Uh, do you remember when this was being shot here, Glenn? Do you? Do I you... vaguely do. I do remember. I don't know what year it was. What two thousand four? It would have been what year? Two thousand three, two thousand two. Yeah. They were shooting it here in in Melbourne, and I remember them doing like blocking off parts of St Kilda. They were shooting stuff, I think. And yeah. but there were the. I didn't realize it at the time, but there was lots of buzz that you know, Rob Lowe was Th- in that's town. It. it wasn't that it was a uh, uh, Stephen so, King. It yeah. was a, the fact that Rob Lowe it was, was in town. Rob Lowe yeah. was in town. And then looking at the cast, you're like, who gives a fuck about Rob Lowe? Yeah, Rutger Hauer was here. Yep. James Cromwell. Yep. Andre Brower. Mm-hmm. Like Samantha Mathis, I mean, she would have been fucked up when she came out and did that. <laughs> but, uh, but Donald Sutherland yep. was here. Mm-hmm. Like, Jeez. I would have been all over that set like a rash. Was this not, a, <laughs> this was like also around the time they were doing Stephen King's Nightmares and Dreamscapes in Melbourne. Which was the the anthology sh- series, like Masters of Horror, but or you know Tales from the Crypt, but all Stephen King stories. Mm. Never heard of it. Okay, <laughs> you've got to be joking. That famous one with William Hurt, um, with all the toys, is a bit like Small Soldiers, but violent. Oh. Does he dress up as a woman and they're locked in prison in South America? No, no I haven't seen. No, that's a Marvel film. All right. <laughs> <laughs> Does one of them put a finger up the bum? <laughs> That's a full moon production. That's how you literally. Get... <laughs> That's how you get the. It's Silent Night, Deadly Night Five. Full moon, yeah. 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 <laughs> That's how you get the dog to release its jaws. We, we talked about that on last week's show. What a what a we moment! Did. Greatest greatest Christmas fingering ever. <laughs> <laughs> and I've had a few. Speak for yourself. <laughs> Yeah, it's the only time of the year I, 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 I receive a fingering. I'll wait for my mum to listen to this episode. Hi, mum. <laughs> I'm not going to go there. Don't. Okay. Yeah, don't. No? Yeah. What's her name? <laughs> he's going he's to leave. I thought you were going to say, what about your daddy? <laughs> no. <laughs> no. So Salem's Lot, 2004, shot in Melbourne. Exactly the pretty much exactly the same story with some. It'd want to be it's Salem's some, Lot. It's Salem's Lot. It's Jerusalem's Lot. But with some some weird story differences, and one of the things that re- like the the Donald Sutherland character, he's basically playing the James Mason part. Yep. His thing ends really weird. The James Cromwell part, like it, it does, it does that thing where they're trying to be clever. 
where the, it starts at the beginning, like it's after all of the events, yeah. and then flashes back. Hate that. Which I, which I think didn't they, they do it in the original too? Don't they? I don't like recall. they're off. It's been years because they're off in in like Nicaragua or somewhere like that. I feel the like they did it more discreetly they, in the first one though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, and he finds the thing, and they're like, they're here. The like cross he, dissolve was much he, smoother. <laughs> he gets the um, he gets the holy water or whatever it is, and yeah. then it, like it glows blue. They don't explain what why it glows blue or what that means, yeah. but. He's like, oh, they're after us. Mm-hmm. But in this one, he it starts off with him tracking down James Cromwell, mm-hmm. uh, the, who's the priest of Salem's Lot. But this time he's working in a homeless shelter and uh, Rob Lowe's like a bum. Yep. And then it flashes back. But like overall, I was surprised. Like I thought this was going to be a total piece of shit. Mm. I avoided it when it came out because mm-hmm. I'm like, there's no way this is going to be as good as, <clears throat> yeah. as the original. And it, look, it is totally different. It's a very, you know, 90s... He's cool. He's got a leather jacket. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. You know, but Rob Lowe is surprisingly good. Yeah. Everyone is good. Like, oh, and that's the other big difference. Like, in, in the original Mr. Barlow, you never see. Mm. And when you do see, he looks like Nosferatu. Yeah, yes. Yeah. In this one, it's fucking Rutger Hauer. <laughs> and he looks like Rutger Hauer. He looks like awesome Rutger Hauer. Who has, he's awesome... played Dracula, hasn't he? He has in... Dario, like... Dario Argento's Dracula. Which was after the mm. fact. Was it? I thought that was uh, Thomas Kretschner. Well, he's been in. Was Dracula? He's been. He's been in a Dracula. One. Isn't he in like Dracula, Dead and Loving It or something? Like no, that? no, he's no. I, I reckon ones. he's in Dario Argento's Dracula. Maybe. I'm sure he's played Van Helsing in things. Yeah, for sure. No doubt. Um, but uh, yeah, look it up. Look it up on the. Uh, keep talking, on the, on the and the you keep talking, yeah. and then you went to up right. and you got the answer. <laughs> um. So there's like there's little story differences that kind of throw you. Mm. The, the thing that makes this like bad to the to almost unwatchable. Oh, you've gone from this. It's a great film. <laughs> it's great. It's great. But it is, it's simultaneously great and almost unwatchable. <laughs> if during the 90s and early 2000s, you watched a lot of Australian TV. Right. Because just about everyone that's not one of those kind of five or you six main characters yeah. are all from Home and Away or Neighbours and their American accents are shit. Yeah. Well, they're not. They're actually... They're pretty good, but you know they're not yeah. real. You can see through it or you hear can, through it. Yeah, yeah, you can hear, see, you can see through it, and you're like, oh, she was shit. She was shit neighbors. How'd she even get this? Like, there's a lot of stuff. Someone like wants that. to interrupt. He was Van Helsing in that. Ah, oh, in, yeah. in the Dario Argento yeah. one. In Dario Argento. Yeah. So we were uh, all okay. right. Yeah. yeah. Happy medium. Because um, I remember, because Thomas Kretschner was also Dracula and Dracula Untold at the same time. The, the t- or the TV series or whatever mm. it was that was going around at the time. Um, so like that is that Robert Mamone who, like, I don't know if I've ever seen that guy in anything I've liked. I hope he doesn't listen to the show. <laughs> but I, f- I find him really difficult to watch. He's Tony Mockbell in, um, yes, 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 that's yes, 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 yes. And he's he, like the one movie that he's great in and he plays the sleazy bad guy anyway, is that, um, uh, wrong bet slash blood sport type movie with that, that they made with the WWE. With yep. Stone Cold Steve Austin, where he goes to the island and they're filmed like he's a, they get all these um, killer prisoners from all around the world and they stick them all on an island that to fight to the death and only one can survive for, for like this internet broadcast. And once again, they shot that here and he's the bad guy. He's fucking well, fucking <laughs> <laughs> Anyway. He's not a good actor. I just don't, ca- I just don't like him. Yeah. I don't, I don't know what it is. Well, for me, it's the, the Home and Away stigma. Like, I can only ever see his character from Home and, from Away. Home and Away. Yeah. 
And it was he was the daddy who was banging one of his daughter's friends in that. <laughs> uh, not that I not that I watched. No, the, we know too much. <laughs> a lot of home and away. But uh, you know. But wasn't he in the Matrix? Like, who wasn't in the Matrix? Yeah, that's Aiden true. Nicodem- that's Aiden Nicodema was in the Matrix. That's true. Mm. Uh, <laughs> uh, oh so yeah, and he was in Street Fighter with Jean Claude Van Damme. Yeah. Anyway, sorry. yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, he is. But so there's a lot of there's that is the part that's hardest to get past. But if you can get past that, it's like watching Mr. Nice Guy, the Jackie Chan movie. Yeah. Once you get past the logistical nightmare that you know is like one minute he's running down Burke Street and the next <laughs> thing you know he's in front of the art centre and you're like that's not how that's not where a, it is. It's only a Melbourne affliction. It's the yeah. same with anyone that lives in Vancouver. Everything's filmed there, and therefore Vancouverians have a trouble watching. Yeah, their it's movies. like it just yeah. takes you right out of the film. But yeah. once you get past that, it actually is quite. I was surprised at how entertaining it was. The problem is they leave the trams in. The, yeah, what do they do that for? Remember um, Alex Proyas knowing that's a great movie with Nicolas Cage, but it's fucking trams in the background. Yeah, or some <laughs> like yeah, could, the L. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, but so like yeah, so yeah, I recommend it. I'll check it out. <laughs> I don't Excellent. know what's that. You throw me off, but uh, it's good. <laughs> it's good. You should watch it. Just uh, try and try and forget that they're all. Welcome in... to my side of the desk, Ben. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm going to go back to 1991 once again. Uh, I just love those mid 90s, early mid 90s Stephen King movies. But uh, this one struck a chord with me at the time. I kind of feel like it should have been theatrical. I wish it was, but sometimes they come back. Do you remember that? Oh one? yeah, that was a doozy. This one um, is also taken from the Night Shift collection, and it's got that Stephen King stamp all over it. It tells the story of a man, Tim Matheson, plays him who returns to his hometown. He, I think he's a novelist. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they all <laughs> are. Up, yeah. But he returns decades after his brother was murdered by a gang of greasers, mm-hmm. like, you know, back in the 50s. Mm-hmm. And um, the, in, back in the 50s when the greasers committed this murder, shortly after they were killed because they did this murder on train tracks, the train came and took them out as well. Oh. Um, but this guy comes back to town. He takes a job as a high school teacher just sort of to make ends meet. Um, and not long after he starts, the dead greasers begin appearing in his classroom. So he starts to get haunted by them. And as the story progresses, we learn... Because that's how it works. You get haunted by the people that killed your father. <laughs> Usually it's the people that killed Brother. get haunted yep. by the... Yeah. <laughs> but as the story progresses, they... Um, they do the haunting. We learn that there's sort of a doorway to the afterlife, which allows people um, to come back for every murder that's committed. So when someone's murdered, someone gets to come back. It's a weird oh. concept, mm. but it works in the film. A uh, little bit confusing to explain. That's the problem. <laughs> <laughs> but it makes sense, trust me. But um, Tim Matheson's character goes through a massive down rabbit hole of trying to you know, work it out and discover it. Um, he confronts his past, not only the greases, but other you know, traumas that have happened and all that kind of stuff, as Stephen King does. Everyone has these fucking traumas. Oh, I know. I have, no, I have no traumas. No. No, I have plenty of traumas. <laughs> but none that are that are in any way would be considered anything by anyone else other than me. None that they're going to make a movie yeah, about. No, no, okay, okay. When he was in primary school, he was trying to take a shit. The kids stuck their head over the stall, and now he can't shit in public. Fucking like that's there's no your, movies about that. Your trauma is so close to mine. Is that, is that for real? That's totally oh legit. Oh my god! Do you know mine was wow. in assembly at school. Remember they had outdoor <laughs> assemblies on basketball courts and shit yeah. like that, but they'd have a whole school one. Yeah. I stood up like to take my windsheeter <laughs> off, but my t-shirt came off too, and I'm standing there with no top on. I could have quickly put it back on and sat down. What did I do? I ran through the whole assembly to the furthest toilet. Completely bare chested, embarrassed, <laughs> and 
I don't go shirtless in public, which is probably a good thing anyway. Otherwise, you'd be out mowing the lawn. Mowing the lawn every weekend, shirtless. You know it. Turn your t-shirt into a bandana. Yeah. Take the sweat off. I have t-shirts. They're tucked into my pocket. <laughs> That's what they're for. <laughs> but it, look, sometimes they come back. It's a banger. I love it. It also starred Brooke Adams, William Sanderson, and Robert Rustler. Directed by Tom McLaughlin, who did um, Friday the 13th 6, I think it was, which I think is my favourite one. That's so good. That's a really, really good one. Um, Does he go into space in that one? No. Then how can it be your favourite? <laughs> <laughs> well, his TV work is really prolific too. He's got a lot more television than he does than anything else. Um, curiously, what I find odd about this one is it's one of those examples of a franchise being kicked off because there was sometimes they come back again yeah yes. which had michael gross who's great had a young hillary swank in it and that was actually a good movie like i yeah. thought that was good as well once again probably could have been theatrical as you know i don't know why these films weren't but there we go because stephen king was all the rad all mm. the flavor i should say he was all the rad he's all the rad, <laughs> all the rad. <laughs> <laughs> but it was also like it was a tally movie like it was only 90 minutes long it wasn't a mini series so it definitely could have but then the third one is interesting. It's called Sometimes They Come Back for More, which had no connection whatsoever. It didn't even look like one of these films. It was just an ad for Faster Pasta. It was like a remake of The Thing. It took place oh, in an right. Arctic ah. ice station. It's called Ice Station Erebus in other countries. Uh-huh. But in America and Australia, it's freaking Sometimes They Come Back for More. So, well, yeah, it's, it's a new setting with no relation. I wonder if it's one of those specials where they... That's what they called it. They just they didn't they didn't. That's what they put on the box cover. It, yeah. But they didn't even bother changing the title tr- sequence in the film. Yeah, like, oh, it's still called Ice Station. You think yeah. so? When you borrowed it, you put it in. And you're like, oh, I'm like, yeah, did I pick it up the wrong so, thing? Yeah. It's, but, I mean, it's 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 worth watching just because Max Perlich is in it, and I will watch anything that Max Perlich is in. He's a fucking legend. So there we go. Sometimes they come. He's back. all right. He's no he's no Ron Eldard. Good Movie Monday is made possible with the support of people like Viewlorium. Viewlorium is a streaming platform for rare and obscure movies, and it's absolutely free. They also have a catalogue full of kids' flicks, classic movies, foreign cinema, and more. Visit Viewlorium.com today to see what it's all about. In 2011, our good mate Mick Garris made Bag of Bones for A&E. Did you know that? No. That's my recommendation. Oh, I didn't know that Mick Garris was our good friend. <laughs> of course he is. He's been on the show twice. So you know. if you can lend me $10,000. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> what are we going to produce? Is it a project? No, it's for more Viagra. <laughs> <laughs> a lifetime. <laughs> I'm, sick of this. I'm sick of this nonsense four-hour erections. <laughs> 24-hour erections. Come on. I was gonna, I'm going to open doors with it. <laughs> And, 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 and stop doors <laughs> only on the push. You try it with the pull, with the pull door, it does not go down well. No, but you end up just breaking things. Viagra goes well with pulls, though. Yeah, let's 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 face it, it does. So once again, bag of bones. Uh, <laughs> this was uh, Mick Garris's seventh Stephen King adaptation because he'd previously done Sleepwalkers. He did The Stand, The Shining, uh, Quicksilver Highway, Riding the Bullet, and Desperation. How good is Sleepwalkers? It's amazing. Another one that's not a book. You know, he adapted that for the screen. I think that was his first one. Yeah. And what was it? Um, Joe spoke about, or was it Chad spoke about um, Storm of the Century? Which I is, can't tell them apart. No, yeah. that's right. No. Storm of the Century, I think, I agree, it's probably top three of the tally movies of, of Stephen King. It's and not as good as R.E.M. Stand. <laughs> no, that's right. <laughs> hey! hey. <laughs> 
I came up with that joke all by myself. Now face north. (laughs) (laughs) Also a good joke that uh, was (laughs) underappreciated. But Bag of Bones, it stars Pierce Brosnan and Melissa George. um, Melissa George. With the support of Matt Frewer. Everyone loves Matt Frewer. Who cannot love Matt Frewer? Uh, Jason Priestley, we can take the leave. He's the death of TV series, Jason Priestley. <laughs> Except for Sister Kate. That show was great. <laughs> and Annabeth and Gish. Annabeth Gish. Yes. From Inventing the Abbots. See, this guy knows his stuff. <laughs> if it's right. got boobs, he knows. <laughs> <laughs> yep. I don't know who any of the men you've mentioned, uh, I don't know what they're in. But all the actresses I know. So guess what the story's about? It would be a novelist. Oh, wow. Uh, of course oh, it is. Like a, a slightly failed novelist who needs to make ends meet by doing something else? <laughs> kind of. No, this is, a, this is a novelist who's actually grieving the loss of his wife. And to compound his grief... He loves killing the wives. He King. does. And, and to, to compound this grief, though, like he finds out after the fact that she was cheating on him and pregnant with her lover. Mm. So that's quite, a, that's quite a thing to... So she deserved to die, is that what you're saying? <laughs> is that what you're saying, Glenn? So what he does, he escapes to his summer house, you know, because the novelist always has somewhere to go in a Stephen King story. Um, oh, usually home. <laughs> they always go home. But guess what he suffers when he gets there? Have a guess. Uh, the town people don't trust him? No. Nope. Oh, no. Writer's block. Oh, oh, of course. It's like he's in dairy. <laughs> and so he's got time to spare while he's trying to think of what to write. And he meets a mother and a daughter who are going through their own sort of, you know, uh, custody battles and all this kind of stuff. You know what he should do to beat writer's block? You should just lie in a pool on a lilo eating pasta. <laughs> God. That's an offer that's, joke that's, if anyone's watched the offer. Yeah, it's a Mario Puzo it's joke. It's a Mario Puzo joke. <laughs> Jeez, that's a pretty bad one. Yeah. <laughs> and if you're going to eat pasta, have a palmer with it. Yeah. There's another 100%. there's another offer joke. Oh god. Yeah, I'm hungry. Yeah, so <laughs> So anyway, so all of this turmoil that's going on with this mother and daughter actually inspires him to write again and then it starts flowing and blah blah blah. Um but as he starts writing, he suddenly finds himself surrounded by ghosts and it's sort of a bit of the overactive and overactive imagination and all that going <laughs> going to town. Um but these delusions consume him and long story short um, he unravels a mystery in that town. <laughs> Go figure. The ghosts help him solve <laughs> yes, crimes yeah, in their totally. spare time? Totally. That's a TV show <laughs> I want to see. It's a movie full of secrets and twists <laughs> and turns. It's actually really good. And it's actually one of the first jump scares I can recall having as a full-ass adult and actually jumping out of my skin. Like There was one scene in the first... I don't know, in the first part, maybe the first act, something pops out and, yeah, got me. <laughs> <laughs> No euphemisms <laughs> there. <laughs> so we're talking about my erection again. <laughs> <laughs> and I do think this is a really strong Stephen King adaptation. Adaptation, And I think it's probably one of Mick Garris's best films, period. And it was shot in Nova Scotia, which is a province of Canada that's very similar to Newfoundland. So if you know what that Newfoundland landscape looks like... You it's where the shipping news is set. That's right. <laughs> and Storm of the Century, I think, is also Nova Scotia. Um, and Storm of the Century is in the Dolores Claiborne universe as well. Mm. So there you go. King and his connections. Do you know, like, an, that's why Castle Rock exists. Yeah, that's right. Massive King fans will know that there are windows in all of his books mm. that connect to other books and all that. And the whole Dark Tower thing, pra- practically the whole string of Dark Tower stories connects to every book he's ever written, more or less, which yeah. is kind of cool. Right. But, but I mean, then, I mean as a writer, counselingers. as a writer though, like, I don't know if I could remember all the windows I've opened, you know? No. Like you got to have, he must have oh, a spreadsheet. I guess, or when he's got writer's block, he's just reading all his old stuff going, oh, yeah. shit. Yeah. Like, oh, but hang on a second. I forgot what about if, that door. What if, yeah. 
It's like the labyrinth. You got three doors and knockers. And what if Pennywise went to Jerusalem's lot? That's a good point. Like would Mr. Would uh, Mr. Barlow float? <laughs> well, I, I think wasn't uh, the secret window of Johnny Depp was uh, set in Derry. So you know, oh. imagine if Pennywise had been in that. Would have been a much, actually would have been a good film then. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, long story short, I recommend Bag of Bones. I think the book is really, really good, and I think the telly movie is pretty scary and pretty effective. But um, sweet, yeah, Melzy, what do you got? So interestingly, neither of my choices have dead wives. Oh, so dead husbands. Well, the first one. Did. Well, the first one did. The second one. Oh, is it a spoiler? Is the dead husband a spoiler? Okay. Not, well, okay, so let's just cut to it. (laughs) Why don't you tell us what it is? I have no idea what she's talking about. (laughs) In the Tall Grass. Ah. Now, so 2019, directed by Vincenzo Natale. Oh, uh, let's stop there. Mm. Like, what a legendary director. The guy that made Cube and Mm -hmm. Nothing and Splice and love this guy. Yep. Yep. Continue. <laughs> uh, so it's based on the novella in the Tall Grass, written by Stephen King and his son Joe Hill. So that and it was blew my Netflix. mind when I found that out. Well, the fact that he oh, writes with his Joe, son, they've done yeah. you. Yeah. No, the fact that Joe Hill was Stephen King's yeah. son. Oh yeah, right, absolutely. Because yeah. <laughs> like he used to write comics all the time, and I'm like, oh. yeah. yeah, yeah, and like, why didn't he use the King name? Like, you, yeah. you know, instant bankable. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, yeah. Um, so yeah, another Netflix um, release. So the story starts with siblings Cal and Becky. Becky's six months pregnant, driving through grass fields, travelling to San Diego. When they pull over to the side of the road, they hear a boy's voice yelling out, asking for help and saying he's lost and has been stuck in the field for days. They also hear another voice, the boy Tobin's mother, telling them not to come in. Well, they end up going in, of course. (laughs) (laughs) And they they, they can't get out. Yep. So Becky comes across Tobin's dad, Ross, played by Patrick Wilson. He has a weird pedo moustache. Straight from love hard, it. a hard candy mustache. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah. Love Patrick Wilson. Love Patrick Wilson with a Peter mustache. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and he tells her to follow him and to stay close. Elsewhere, it's turned to night and Cal finds Tobin, the young boy, all bruised and dirty and holding a dead crow. He says that the grass won't move dead things and that Becky will die soon. And the rock told him so. He takes him, he takes him to the black rock, which is in the middle of the field. And essentially, it's the root, pun intended, of all the problems. Was there a pun? <laughs> <laughs> the root. Yeah, yeah, okay. <laughs> Continue. I was also very tired when I wrote this. <laughs> Hang on, was no pun intended. Did you write no pun intended in the, in the text? In the notes? You want to see? Pun intended. There we there go. There we go. <laughs> So it's the root of all the problems. It needs human sacrifices and draws people into the grass, trapping them in a time loop. And when you touch the rock, it supposedly tells you all the secrets of the tall grass. And what it seems to do is either tap into your biggest fears or desires. And apart from being a bit of a mind... Often the same thing? Yeah. <laughs> apart, from, apart from being... <laughs> apart from shitting in public? Like shitting <laughs> in, in public toilets? We're back to your... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> fucking, <comments> again. <laughs> fucking rock. Don't show me... <laughs> Make me really anything. In the school toilets. <laughs> I'll never take a shit there again. I'll never shit shirtless. So like I'll go to the doctor with stomach cramps before I fucking take a shit in the school toilet. 
So apart from being a bit of a mind fuck, the movie has some pretty gory, very gory moments. It's like fetus stuff. Pretty disturbing. Surprisingly, that's a that's a weird fetish that you don't find on Pornhub. <laughs> no, like uh, I'm into I you know one, but... fetus stuff. <laughs> <laughs> so technically, the film is pretty flawless. It's beautiful to look at. The cinematography, the editing, it's really effective at playing into that universal fear of mm. feeling lost, and you really do feel lost along with the characters going in this time loop. The narrative side is maybe where it falls down a little bit, but it is based, the novellas that's based on a true on a short story. Yeah. So it's been expanded quite a lot. So yep. maybe that they got lost. They got lost. <laughs> they literally, they but got lost. Also, also it has like it? a fairly happy ending, and I definitely needed that. I think that that was how I because we showed this for one of our um watch online watch parties last year, and um and you. If I don't deal very well with family and yeah. kids stuff and, and the fact that I was all right with this film yeah. and watched it again the other night um, before this, uh, I think that that happy, the happy-ish yeah. ending really it helps, helps and it doesn't and, and that's not a part of the sh- of the novella. So yeah. apparently that's... We, we spoke about Stephen King having these doorways to all other stories. Missed opportunity. <laughs> he could have introduced the lawnmower man to this one. <laughs> <laughs> totally. When there's long grass... Yeah. What do you do? <laughs> Call the Lawnmower Man. That's right. That's funny, isn't it? Because the Lawnmower Man movie, Stephen King sued them over that one because it actually is not based on anything he ever wrote. No, except just, he has a story. Took the title. He took the, the story Lawnmower Man from yeah. the Night Shift Collection, yeah, yeah, which is yeah. about like a, a possessed lawnmower. <laughs> like nothing to do with virtual reality. Really? No. Mm. Anyway, but anyway, but, but he should have tied those in. Yeah. Long grass and yeah. Mm. Should have. Missed opportunity. Yes, that's right. That's what I said. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> We're going really just, well, just guys. Repeating. Just as <laughs> just well. Just in case anyone missed it. Just as well, because we're, we're at that end like, of the show. I was going to say, even my phone says it's sleep well. <laughs> it does too. It actually just, does. Just Which is odd. Your, your, your phone is giving you better messages my than mine is. is like, uh, it's, it tells me. Cause I, cause it's I'm very odd for 7.30 in the morning. It's, 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 yeah, it's really weird. Yeah, it is. <laughs> Who knows? Who knows? Ben doesn't get up at seven thirty. So in the morning. much to the disdain of Malzi and Ben, we're at that point in uh, the episode where we do some horror trivia. Oh, because uh, this is a thing we do on Malzi episodes, and it's what Glenn likes. <laughs> what Glenn likes, Glenn gets. <laughs> yeah, do you remember that one time I got one right? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why we don't do this on every show. Probably because it requires effort from Ben. Yeah, and yeah. That's a, yeah like, the effort is me watching the movie. So two questions each. I'm going to go first, see which one of you can guess correctly. Um, not including the web series, how many installments are in the Critters franchise? Four. Three. Five. Five. Dun, dun. Son of a bitch. But there shit. are six if you include the, yeah. uh, the web series because put together it's a 90-minute story. Oh, so Ben, would you like to go next? All right. All my questions are stand related. <laughs> All right. I'm just going to put it out there. So who plays the Doomsayer Prophet in the stand? The Doomsayer Prophet. Uh, Doomsayer. Which I'll give you that? a clue. He's a famous that. basketball player. Oh. oh um, not, not, no. Uh, <laughs> and he does. He his character. Does, I don't think it appears in the in the TV series remake, the more recent remake. Because no, it's not. What's his name for flying high? Is it? 
Yeah, Kareem. it is. Kareem. 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 That's, Kareem. Who, I, yeah. that's who I was. I could, I could not think. I could not get The it. over-opinionated uh, author, um, what, journalist these days. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I, I knew that was who it was. I just couldn't get it off the tip of my I still, tongue. I still don't know his name, but, you know. Are you guys watching Winning Time on, on no. Binge? The greatest TV show on TV. Uh, well, I don't know. Maybe the offer is going to <laughs> But that... The movie about the TV series about the Lakers in the seventies. Oh, I know the one you I'm mean. Fucking amazing, amazing television. All right, fire away with your question. Um, which Scream Queen released a workout video in the early? Linnea Quigley. Yeah. I wouldn't have got I that. Knew, I, I knew. Well, it's it's aerobic, was it aerobics or was it? Like... It's an aerobics one, and it's <laughs> it's so shit because it start. I mean, it's amazing. <laughs> it starts out. She's walking down the street, and these zombies come out of nowhere, and she runs away from them, and they follow her, and then she ends up by a pool behind like some random person's house and she has to wait for the zombies to catch up and she's just like you guys are so out of shape this is ridiculous <laughs> come on and then they they do a workout that's amazing that is what Oz style aerobics was missing yeah zombies yep totally well, I, w- I was going to say thongs but yeah sure <laughs> which uh, my next question which A-list Hollywood actor starred in Return of the Killer Tomatoes and Return to George Horror Clooney. High yes I was going to give you a Bonus question there. Like, he also starred in uh, what Police Academy-esque spin-off? Red Surf. No. Combat Academy. Combat Academy. Yeah, which was written by the it's same guy. Ralph Matthews is in Up the Academy. Well, that, that's true. Thank you. Yeah, there you go. All right, what's your that's next question? Problem. Now, this is an interesting one because this is, this is the stand trivia and a little bit of Ben trivia. Ooh. How many... Viagra's have you popped? (laughs) (laughs) The answer? All of them. (laughs) Name Ben's two favourite songs from the Stand soundtrack. Far out. I can't even remember the opening song because it's fucking iconic. It's iconic. Is that one of them? I can't even. It probably is one of them. I can't remember what it is. No, 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 no. Because it's themed with what's happening. With what's happening, yeah. And it's all, it also features quite prominently in The Stone Age, which is a fantastic teen movie. The Adam Rifkin one? The Adam Rifkin one, where they talk about it being uh, this Fuck. the band that sings it. Like, they always, you know, every band, they have what they could, like, I'm going to get in so much trouble for saying this, but in, it's in the, the movie is what they, the movie calls it this, not me. But they say every band has a fag song <laughs> that they play yeah. so they can see who the fags in their audience are. <laughs> <laughs> and that's what this song is. For this band, but I love it. It's not Don't Fear the Reaper. It is Don't Fear the Reaper. That's one of them oh. by the Blue Oyster Cult. So I prefer that in The Frighteners. Yeah. Yes. Oh, it's great. It's great in every movie. Yeah, that's yeah. true. That's true. It comes Absolutely. on and in it conjures fact, images. Yeah. It may actually just be an awesome song. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but no, the, uh, the, the first song escapes me. But the other one is uh, Don't Dream It's Over by Crowd. Of course it is. Of course it is. Molly Ringwald plays it with Corey Nemec when her father dies. It's a very touching moment. <laughs> ben loves touching moments. Ben <laughs> touching himself. <laughs> that's what he calls his moment. That's what I call it. Yeah, that's my moment. And no one else will let me do it, so I do it myself. <laughs> if you want a job done right, do it yourself. Melzy? Okay, so this is kind of not horror, but kind of horror. My so, favourite kind of. Mm, not quite horror. So, quite horror. which movie character, because this is horror, has a higher kill count than Jason and Michael Myers combined? Jason Voorhees and Michael Myers. Not. Not Michael's brother, Jason. God. <laughs> God. <laughs> uh, movie character. Yeah. Action. 
Oh, so we're talking like a... a Rambo? Oh, that's a good one. Mm, it's not Terminator. Negative. Oh, neither of those? No. Fuck. Is it Syracuse? Newer. Newer. Oh, newer. Mm-hmm. Oh, we're talking... Is it Ricky O? It's John Wick. Yes. Yeah. It's John oh, Wick. Well done. Yeah. yeah John yep. Wick. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Well done. Fair enough. That's a great one. I like that. Mm. Yeah, we should. We should. Sam, 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 we need that one. So, <laughs> well done, Sam from the Melbourne Horror Film Society. Yeah. <laughs> no wonder it was so good. Yeah, 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 yeah. Exactly. <laughs> hey, if anybody listening wants to win free stuff, go to goodmoviemonday.com. I want to win free stuff. We'll go to goodmoviemonday.com. I will. Or I can. I can just give you some if you want. Nah. Yeah, make him work for it. Make him work for it. Yeah, if I don't win we it, have, I'm never going to watch it. We have <laughs> cinema passes. Uh, driving cinema passes and new release DVDs up for grabs. Just go to the giveaway page at, again, goodmoviemonday.com. We would also love everyone to share this episode. So, you know, not only like and comment, but like share it, pay it forward. Yeah, Ben. (laughs) (laughs) On on any of our social media posts, share it with your friends. I don't have any friends. That's why he doesn't do it. That's true. (laughs) It's just us. I don't want to see the... The lack of likes coming in on any post I do, so I don't make any posts. Perhaps we need to create a social group of some sort as well, you know, but that just takes Friends a lot of Ben? No, no, it just <laughs> takes a lot of work. Takes a, yeah. That's it. <laughs> I this one girl at uni, she used, to, she used to talk about how much, like she was, having friends is a lot of work. And I was like, you're fucking right. They are a lot of work. You've got to put a lot of work in to keep friends. And I never spoke to her again. <laughs> Wasn't willing to put in the work. <laughs> That's the ultimate backfire, isn't it? Yeah. Give some sound advice. <laughs> it's like, you're right. Yeah. Yeah. See ya. Yeah, bye. <laughs> uh, hey, Mel, we've loved having you here. Oh, loved being here. Cannot wait to do it again next month. Like we say all the time, these Melzy months come around a lot. Yeah, but it's also quickly, isn't it? But not quickly enough. So like, oh, yeah. shucks. Yeah. It's a, it's a Ben episode every week, isn't it? Sucks for you. (laughs) Awesome for me. (laughs) And a big thank you to Jarrett Guillermo and the guys from Bonehead Weekly. Uh, And most of all, thank you to you for listening. Next week, um, we have have expat turned Hollywood actor Louis Mandalore as our guest. Expat? Yeah. Is he a Patrick in a previous life? (laughs) (laughs) He was Pat. You seen It's Pat? I have seen Is he in It's Pat? Are you the guys on the beach who hate everything? (laughs) Yeah. Ween's in that movie. <laughs> yeah. Ween is in that movie. Um, oh, dude, don't start me. Don't start me. <laughs> Every car I've ever owned has a Ween sticker on it. Right. True story. It's called the Bookish. The Bookish. Yep. Lewis Mandalore is going to be on the show next week <laughs> talking about his new film, Hell Hath No Fury, which is a banger. Uh, Does he talk about Costas? <laughs> That's what you want to know. Dreamboat Costas. He may, he may drop a little... Uh, my Big Fat Greek Wedding 3 news. Ooh. Um, got to ask him first. <laughs> <laughs> the sequel no one asked for. Here's a banger of a song. <laughs> a, a banger of a song from 2004 Salem's Lot. This one's for you, Ben. Ooh. Is it Don't Fear the Reaper? <laughs> uh, I'm sorry. <laughs> Gosh darn it. Uh, it's painted black by the Rolling Stones. Lovely. Yes. Nice. You know what would be even better? The Johnny Halliday French version of Painted Black. Mm. Well, it's not going to happen. (laughs) 
could not foresee this thing happening to you.